Ladies and gentlemen, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to this episode of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is Wednesday, August 23rd, 2017. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this uh, minefield of uh, news together. And we are walking through it together, aren't we? I just want to welcome, uh, I just want to thank right now, start out by thanking all of my, all of the crew here, Joe, my co-host, uh, Eric the Tech, uh, manning the boards and uh, even John Robertson, the program director and producer of the Hagman Reporters here. And, of course, don't forget to tune in to, to uh, Joe and John's show, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, Global Star Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. I want to thank all the fine folks at, at Blog Talk Radio as well, Bob and Maria and everyone there at Blog Talk Radio for hosting our program and uh, certainly for uh, Todd as well, Global Star Radio Network, for hosting our program. And I say that because, you know, it's, uh, our, our program is a little bit different, obviously, than other programs in the alternative media. I like to think that anyway. Uh, we're in the well over 160 countries, uh, 70 plus million downloads of our show and, uh, growing every day. So we are making a difference and we have you to thank, you the listener to thank. Not, not, not us. Look, um, I gotta tell you, if it was up to us, we'd be, uh, we'd be panhandling. I mean, on the street. It's, uh, it's you, the listener. It's you, the viewer. It's you, the, the, the people who care about the direction this country is going in. It's you who, uh, who really cares, just as we do, about the truth. And that's what this is all about. It's about the truth. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, um, just to let you know, of course, if you, if you haven't uh, gotten the memo on this already, two new shows. We're up to five hours a day in broadcasting. Two new shows, uh, nine eight nine to ten a.m. Doug Hagman Radio Show, and of course uh, two to three, as I mentioned, John and Joe together, the Hagman uh, Daily Report, so Hagman Daily Show. And I want to thank uh, again BTR and Global Star Radio for hosting those shows as well. We've got a terrific program lined up for you today. We've got uh, first hour Bill Miker. He's Bill Miker is is honestly the real Canadian James Bond. Seriously, uh, Bill Miker is, is if you if he's you read, been on a few times in the past. He has, and you know if if you read his his bio, it reads like a uh, James Bond. I mean, he, he was responsible for the largest uh, money the takedown of the largest money laundering operation on the planet. And, uh, so he's, he's got, he's got a lot of great, uh, war stories. He's going to chime in on a, on a few, or a number of current issues, current events. Hour number two, we've got David Capellian from, uh, WorldNet Daily, WND.com. Uh, he is actually the, uh, associate editor of WND. And he is an author of a fantastic book. You know, the snapping of the uh, the snapping of the uh, the American mind. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, pe- people always say, "Well, you know, you're you're selling books." Now, this is knowledge. This is knowledge. This is stuff that 
when you read it, you know it's the truth. And I, I love I love David Capellian's book because of the subtitle. I suppose tells it all: healing a nation broken by a lawless government and godless culture. There it is. There it is. There's the answer: healing a nation broken by a lawless government and godless culture. So I'm gonna. Uh, but he's gonna be on in the second hour. Then Pastor David Langford in hour number three. Of course, it's Wednesday. So it's it's a great program. Joe, I'm gonna kick it over to you. All right, uh, folks, while we're, we're gonna, while we're waiting to get Mr. Mike on, go to hagmanreport.com if you haven't already today and bookmark this site. There is a lot up here today, including pieces from Stephen Menking and Peter Chauka. Peter wrote a great article, CNN doubles down, President Trump is a national security threat. And this is the, uh, and what Peter does here in this article is details the media's response to Trump's speech at the Phoenix, Arizona rally yesterday. Also on HagmanReport.com, there's a, a clip of Don Lemon, some of what Peter refers to. Deranged, unstable, CNN host loses its mind post-Trump rally. And we played this clip on the Hagman Daily Show today where... You, you know, we, we have to compare notes, show. You, you know that. Where we should compare... Uh... No, not that our shows are scripted, but uh, I, I played that segment from Don Lemon. Did you? Uh, we played uh, the first minute and a half of the of his intro. Okay, uh, I just I oh I played the. You mean after the speech? No, oh, after the speech, right. right when he comes on and says he's unhinged, he's right. like a That's, little boy with an imaginary well. friend. And, but I, I didn't I didn't dwell on that. But I also did you get the the part where uh, the panel was there? No, but okay. we we talked about it though. How they um, went on. After James Clapper came on and stated that Trump's mental, uh, he might not be mentally fit well, to serve office. Can you believe the panel Clapper sat said there that? and talked? Yeah, I can. I can. Yeah. Um, uh, folks, I, I'm asking the audience now. Can, can you, seriously, James Clapper, the former DNI, saying that about a sitting president? The writing's on the wall here, I think, where we're headed. Go ahead. I, I didn't mean to. No, no. Uh, you're right. It, it, it was kind of, um, I mean, this is not the first time he said something like this. That's why I'm not surprised. But well, no, but it's always troublesome. Before you, before I turn it over to you, I just do want to mention the portions of tonight's broadcast are brought to you by Omaha Steaks. Go to omahasteaks.com or go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Omaha Steaks and click on. Well, just go to omahasteaks.com or click on the link from Hagman Report. And remember, for a very special offer, in the search bar. Type in HH in the search bar for a very special offer. Uh, offer just for just for our listeners, we have an exclu- exclusive package for just about fifty nine ninety nine. Go to com, Type HH in the search bar, and choose the perfect business gift. Again, visit com, Enter code HH in the search bar. All right, go ahead. Yeah, and when we uh, bring Bill Mike around, we got we're going to be talking about a lot of current day issues, including the USS John McCain. They found the remains of a number of soldiers yesterday, and the commander of the 7th Fleet of the Navy was let go today as the Navy continues its investigation into these shipwrecks. Also, on HagmanReport.com, there is an article, um, interesting article, from the Arizona Central, azcentral.com. Bundy Ranch standoff trial ends with zero guilty verdicts. A federal jury in Las Vegas did not return any guilty verdicts Tuesday against four men accused of taking up arms against federal agents 
during the Bundy Ranch standoff in 2014. Jurors dealt government prosecutors a stinging defeat in the case when after four days of deliberation, they returned not guilty verdicts on the most serious charges and deadlocked on a handful of others. The article goes on to say that federal prosecutors had little to say about the verdicts and were very tight-lipped as they left the courthouse. Now, this is the second trial, I believe, that has landed in a not guilty verdict. The prosecution did go on to say that they might come back and retry uh, two of the four men for the lesser crimes that the jury was deadlocked on. But still, the federal prosecutors, the judges, all the people involved in this probably are scratching their heads wondering what they did wrong, even though their whole uh, prosecution is probably wrong. The way that do you believe this, this could be a case of jury nullification, or is this a deficiency on the part of the prosecution? I believe it's both. All right. Probably more to the jury nullification. Uh, I would imagine. It, I, mean, it, it, I, would, I would like to bend inside the The fact the that they're deadlocked on, on some of the lesser charges, maybe it's uh, not jury nullification. No. Okay, but, that, does, that does speak to a prosecution deficiency, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so, you know, taking I haven't looked closely at these cases, but looking at what the actual charges were that they were acquitted on versus the ones that were they're still deadlocked on, it still has to uh, make people who followed this whole thing at least uh, a little hopeful that and happy that this incident did not lead to people going to jail. Now, this is not the Oregon standoff that we're talking about. This is the standoff that happened at the Bundy Ranch, the first standoff. So this is why, um, you know, when the people came there to protect the Bundys from the Bureau of Land Management, uh, as they tried to say, he owed millions of dollars in grazing fees and, you know, was killing his, his livestock, a number of people pushed back and were arrested or charged later on for taking up arms against the government, even though a shot wasn't fired. And now the, the prosecutors, the federal prosecutors can't get a verdict on the on the people involved in the initial standoff. So that's always, I mean, that's good news that, you know, we, we still have uh, trials in this country and, and the people seem to have understood that the, either it was jury nullification, but more likely that the prosecution did not meet the, the evidence requirements the and the charges proof, that yeah. they, they brought against them. There's, um, we, we talked about the, we mentioned the Navy fires the 7th Fleet Commander there's an interesting article on Hagman Report, Fears of Cyber Attacks as Navy Fires 7th Fleet Commander. And it's interesting to read that story as the uh, number of people saying that they believe this is a cyber attack is growing as the uh, mainstream media is is remaining hush-hush about this, not even really getting in on the, the talking point that there could be something much more nefarious going on here rather than just mere accidents. With us now is Mr. Bill Miker. Bill, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, Bill's a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Inspector. and Formerly, yep. Yeah, and he is... Um, Responsible for the takedown of the largest money laundering ring on the planet, basically. I, I mean, we can get into the details, but but you know what? It's His resume is, is uh, out the door in terms of uh, the the uh, accreditations. And, and I mean, he's just a highly, uh, highly commissioned uh, and accredited uh, uh, police officer. Phil, thanks for coming. Joining us from overseas. Yeah, from Hong Kong, actually. Am I allowed to say that? Thank you for... 
Hi, uh, Doug, Joe. Uh, good evening, and, and thanks for having me back. Oh, man, it's 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 awful great to have you here, sir. It really is. Um, the, the, reason, uh, the, the reason we asked you, if we could, just to kind of... Uh, uh, kind of just uh, go through some current events, if possible, and, and just kind of get your take on some some things. Is that all right with you? Because you've been in the field, you've been in the trenches, you know of what you speak, and um, we kind of want to get your get your take on on uh, what you're seeing and what you're feeling. And, and yeah, let's start with the uh, what we were just talking about, the USS McCain, the latest naval quote unquote accident that has happened. Um, as we, you know, and you pointed out, the USS Fitzgerald just happened in June. I believe June 17th was the date. Uh, Mr. Miker, what's your opinion on, on these naval accidents? Do you believe that this could be a, uh, cyber attack, uh, testing electronic warfare capabilities between, uh, China and Russia on the U.S.? Well, I think there are people better qualified than I to, to, to speak to that. But, uh, one, one thing I, I've noticed in, in life, is that, you know, once is a mistake, twice is a pattern. And the fact that you have two of the most advanced warships on the planet involved in 100% avoidable accidents with much larger, much slower vessels tells me uh, one of many things. One, it was a, a predetermined act that uh, that occurred not once but twice. Uh, it's absolutely uh, uh, gross incompetence. Uh, that allowed not one but but twice uh, very advanced warships to collide with much larger and slower vessels, or it was an act of God, and and I don't believe it was an act of God. So you're left with only uh, limited possibilities, and I think that when you look at the at the location where it took place, uh, there is of course uh, growing uh, activity with. Uh, uh, Islamic terrorist groups in 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 that part of the of the world. There, of course, is the ongoing uh, uh, conflict, if you will, over the South China Seas uh, with with China. And and again, China has great capabilities now. And maybe you know it's potential that we're seeing some of the stealth moves made by by China. But I, I don't really think logically that that's probably the case. Um, in the act of uh, uh, collusion amongst some of those who could be on U.S. naval vessels who are sympathetic to other causes, uh, I think what you're seeing maybe is also a reflection that the Navy uh, today, as of 2017, is less focused on seamanship and performance and, and promotion of those who are competent at their job. And I think what we're seeing is a reflection of the malaise that has taken hold of all military and police and intelligence services where doing the job is not as important as uh, pretending to be good at the job while you're following the social engineering that has taken a very firm root in all of our critical services. You know, the um, there was an article, uh, Mr. Mike, I don't know if you saw this, that is resurfacing after uh, a few years, after four years now, from the Washington Post in 2013, and it's a confidential report lists U.S. weapons system designs compromised by Chinese cyber spies. And it goes on to talk about how the nation's most sensitive and advanced weapon systems have been compromised by Chinese hackers, according to a report by the Pentagon and the defense industry. 
and they go on to list the number of uh, designs, system designs that are and have been hacked by the by the Chinese, and many of them are you know the from the Navy uh, weapon systems to the Navy's antenna mechanisms, their electronic grid. All these are on the list, and it's a very real possibility, at least in my mind, because this isn't just two in the last eight weeks. There are there there's four. Uh, that have happened in the last year, I believe. And I don't have the, the first two, but these last two have been the, the most fatal. And the media seems to be really hush-hush, even on the possibility that this is more than what it, it appears to be. And we had the Pacific Fleet shut down for 24 hours to two weeks, I believe it was, as they are uh, taking a closer look at what's happening. General Mattis opened an investigation into the latest developments with these uh, naval accidents. And just as you said, it is, you know, once is a mistake, twice is a pattern. We're definitely seeing a pattern here, and it is very disturbing to think that the, you know, the best Navy force on the planet can have such vulnerabilities and that those vulnerabilities can be exploited and are being exploited, and it's killing American troops in the process. Well, I think it's, I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to, to what you said there, Joe. Uh, but I, but I also believe it's, it's a wider, uh, it's a wider issue. Uh, you know, the reality is, uh, countries have been spying on other countries, uh, since time began. And, and if you, you look no further than, you know, when, when Russia, I'm sorry, China first created their, their space program, the, the, all the knowledge and science came from the United States. You know, we got into the horrors of, of the, the nuclear arms race. And, you know, America had, had, had the lead and was in the first position until Americans betrayed uh, you know, other Americans and, and gave that knowledge and technology away. What we're seeing over the last 10 years since uh, Bradley Manning, uh, Snowden, uh, you know, and the like is that we are glorifying, we are actually promoting and encouraging our own demise. You know, to a large extent, the, the, the door hasn't been locked and people have had to sneak in. We, we have brought our own people in. And, and have filled their head with this nonsense that they're all going to save the world by 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 making the world uh, as one. And part of making the world as one is to share all our secrets, share all the things that that allow us, or at least our society, to be protected and 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 to live safely. You know, it's it's a much broader reflection of the fact that I look at the United States today. Again, I'm outside looking in. There there is almost a death wish. Uh, among those in media, in government, uh, on both sides of the, of the political uh, strata that would rather see Americans die, that would rather see the, the country fall and crumble than to admit that their ideology or their doctrine or their political thought pattern is wrong. And, and that's, that's the growing problem. There is no longer this view that we are one nation or that we are one people. And I say that as a Canadian, you know, as, as I grew up, I, I grew up on military bases, and when I was very sick as a young boy on a, on a Canadian base in Germany, I was taken to, to Ramstein, to the American hospital. There was a, a great uh, open door among among fellow travelers, and, and I don't know why in the West we are abandoning the road we have been on uh, relatively successfully for the last hundred years. No, that's a very good point, and it seems like it's uh, being abandoned faster and at a much greater uh, pace as uh, we continue to move forward under the Trump administration. And it seems like it's uh, Trump is the excuse for the 
the reaction that we see. Uh, but this seems to be the direction that they've wanted to go in for a long time. Um, moving on, uh, Mr. Miker, Charlottesville. There is a lot going on in Charlottesville or that see, Charlottesville seems to be a, uh, a point of change. We've seen a huge push after, uh, this, this, whatever you want to call it that happened there, after the violence that happened there. We've seen, you know, this rush to, uh, and as you point out, the business council. And I guess this is one area that, you know, we and, and others have not reported on except for mentioning that the business council is being dissolved because of disagreements inside uh, the leadership there. What can you tell us about what happened after Charlottesville? Well, when I, I, I look at it, and, you know, I, again, as an investigator, you, you break things down to their component parts uh, as you try to figure out what happened. And, and I look at, at Charlottesville, and so you had 300 out of all across America, 300 to 500 uh, people came forward uh, to to protest the removal of a statue. For whatever uh, right or wrong, they held the, the position that that statue had value to them. They, they lawfully got their permits. They lawfully followed the steps and procedures. But in total, there was no more than 300 to 500 people out of 350 million Americans. So we're not talking uh, a great movement here. You're not talking something that is shaking the foundation of America. But what did you, what did you see as a result? You saw a group that, that didn't follow the, the law, a group that didn't follow, uh, a procedure who just said, we are going to shut down these 300 to 500 people. And they massed thousands of people. They basically, it was mob rule. They, they then uh, created a, a, an environment that became, became unsafe for all parties. I, I look at how the, the police, at least looking from my perspective from the media, seem to abdicate their responsibilities of uh, keeping the peace. Uh, you know, immediately after the incident in, in which the young lady was was uh, unfortunately killed, uh, you know, where where was due process? Within minutes, you had the the governor uh, screaming like a lunatic that you know about the murder that that this was uh, you know alternative right. All the names, all the all the identity politics that that came out. You know, you know. Again, presumption of innocent till found guilty is is a, is a bedrock of of American law foundation. Uh, but the name calling, the finger pointing, the absence of political and and police leadership at critical times is very apparent. I believe that as the evidence starts to unfold, you are going to see huge gaps in in process and procedure, and it's going to be a fair question as to. Was that by design, or was that by, again, incompetence? No, okay, Bill, this is Doug. If I can ask you, design by design or by incompetence, which part? Because as I looked at Charlottesville in, retro, in, in hindsight and dissected the news reports, the contemporaneous filming uh, by a couple of journalists there, and looked at, uh, there, there was a, a large amount of footage taken. I guess that's the wrong term. Large amount of data taken or video taken at the at the, at the scene, um, contemporaneous to the to the, uh, to the incident where the car smashed into the other car and of course backed up and fled the scene. Now, are you, first of all, you're talking about by design or by incompetence for the entire or for the response, or are you talking about for the entire thing or, or any specific part of this? Because I, I I've got a really 
bad feeling about or really odd feeling about what I what I saw there. I just it just seemed very convenient, very tidy. And I don't when it comes to investigations or when it comes to situations like this, I don't like tidy. I, I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I, I think the <coughs> this this uh, this event has dominated uh, America today. And if you recall when we when we have talked in the past, when I talk about undercover, and I'll, and I'll make the correlation here, that, that we don't actually do magic, just like a magician doesn't do magic. But you want people looking left while you're doing something on the right. You know, we use misinformation. We use disinformation. And, and, and so you, you think about the broader, uh, media strategy, political strategy of those who were opposed to Donald Trump prior to Charlottesville was all about the Russian collusion story. Everything was focused on that. We denigrate, we attack, we attack, we attack based on the Russian collusion. You know, we tried going after Trump's personality and his personality flaws, but he still got elected, lo and behold. So they shift to, to another, another soundbite, and that became the Russian collusion story. That is now being uh, buried because on its own, uh, there, there, a lot of smoke, but not a lot of fire, at least at this point in time. And, and so now you have a convenient circumstance where, where 300 uh, to 500 Americans gathered to, to lawfully protest something they didn't agree with, which, which is a very normal situation. When you don't agree, you, you lawfully gather to protest your point of view. You don't expect to have thousands of people, uh, descend upon you with, with a clear agenda, which is to uh, drown your voice either by having more voices or as we're seeing on an increasing level, uh, using, uh, violence. And, and then where is your state? People pay taxes because there's an expectation that the government will provide security for them. And, and where was this security? It was switched off. And, and again, looking at, at, at how quickly things, uh, uh, turned, turned bad, you know, for the first lawful protesters and then for, for everybody who was there. You know, as I say, at, at a riot situation or that type of situation, the only people who have no choice about being there are the police. They're there whether they agree or disagree with what's being protested. But you had three to 500 people who came there by their own choice, and they declared it. They were very open and transparent. You then had thousands come, and there's a lack of transparency. There, there's starting to be a growing body that there was uh, agent provocateurs, that potentially were involved to, to escalate the violence, to create the visual image that goes with the whole, uh, uh, brainwashing, if you will, of the, of the dialogue about this. You had elected officials, the governor and the mayor, no less, who were personalizing the attack within minutes against the whole swath of, of Americans and, and vicariously uh, using that to go after Donald Trump. As somebody who used to set up uh, covert scenarios. I was seeing a pattern uh, displayed in front of me that's very consistent with uh, creating a scenario that gives me an outcome or a contrived uh, or a contrived event that gives me the outcome that I'm looking for. And in this case, uh, it, I'm not trying to be cynical, but it is very difficult for me to look at this in its entirety and and not see earth-shattering incompetence by government and police or it was a contrived event. That's a great analysis, Mr. Miker, and I agree with you 100%. This was 
uh, in my opinion, set up. We know that these protesters are being paid, being bussed in, uh, you know, all uniform in their in their actions, behaviors, and mindsets as they have manuals and uh, instruction guides to go from. But you make some good, really good points. One, the the lack of law enforcement response, the police stand down. Uh, which some are saying that the police were told to stand down by the mayor of Charlottesville, who is a very close acquaintance of John Podesta. I just want to say this. I I did speak with um, a principal, a law enforcement officer, not not in Charlottesville, but in a neighboring community. And he's got a relative in that, the the responding uh, Charlottesville uh, Police Department who said that there was a, definitely a stand-down order given. Now, I can't prove that. This was not in writing. This was a communication, direct communication prior to the event. Well, yeah, uh, and, if you just, and if you just look at the, the actions of the police by when these two groups were violently fighting with each other, the police were nowhere to be found until they declared it an unlawful assembly and told the, the people with the permits to leave and then funneling them right through, forcing them to go right through the people that were there to protest them instead of creating a barrier of separation uh, as there was already violence between the two groups. That is a big indicator. Now, Bill, I want to get your opinion on a few things. Uh, we saw the, as you said, the, you know, the, uh, the solution laid out uh, or the answers laid out for us when this happened. You know, it's racist, it's white supremacist, and now it's uh, basically all Trump supporters in the Republican Party. That's part of the political motive. But one thing that was interesting that was not reported by the media is what happened with the shooter. Now, we know he was charged with second-degree murder instead of first-degree murder. And they, after the day after it happened, uh, James Fields was his name, They he was out of the news. Uh, he has not been in the news since really the day this happened, since he was identified. Does that give you any indicators, maybe that they, um, and especially with a second-degree murder charge, that... He wasn't, he didn't get in his car thinking, I'm going to go mow down some people. Do you think that the media is staying away from the shooter, or the, the shooter, the driver, because of, um, a deeper, uh, more nefarious motive, or because that his, uh, this might not have been intentional murder and, and a, what would one call a terrorist attack? I, I think, uh, as, as they learn, I mean, they pounced on it with glee when, when the accident happened and, and, and a death occurred. And of course, he, he, this guy uh, was was as vicious as Genghis Khan, uh, judging by the by the initial media thrust and blush on this. But but in effect, it didn't fit the narrative. It was a great a great story to get it going, and then it lost the narrative when they found out that this guy's already uh, been under mental health care. He is a bona fide uh, medically diagnosed schizophrenic. Uh, you know, it, the narrative starts falling down when when. When again, somebody who's who is medically already identified as having mental health issues. And again, I, I look at the video. You know, for two years I did accident investigation early in my service. And and again, you you recreate how an accident occurred. And again, uh, you know, not to take away uh, from from the tragedy that occurred, but when you look at the the video of of his car uh, going uh, down there, we have no way of knowing whether. At this state point in time, unless he gave an admission to the police, which you would have thought you would have heard about by now, that he went there with the full intent to mow down as many people as he can. There's been no acknowledgement of that. All you have acknowledged is that a vehicle in a, in a very volatile, high stress situation of which somebody who is already mentally, uh, unstable, uh, is, is, finds themselves in. 
how they react to a bang or a noise. Anyways, when you look at what happened there, he had rear-ended a car, the confusion and the mess of what's happening, and he starts to back up. The woman who was killed was charging. Why would you charge a car that's in reverse? Because she was going with many of the others from the appearance of her dress and her demeanor to go and attack this person in a car who may or may not have done the initial accident on purpose. And in his panic backing out, she foolishly is charging towards a car that is backing up, and the end result is she now lays dead. And again, to fit the narrative, you have to paint it that this mentally disturbed driver had a clear intention to do exactly what he did. And right now, it's not so clear. And I think that's why you see a bit more of a tempering down, because his defense team is going to have a lot of information and data to work with, including her charging towards a car moving in reverse. At some point, people have to take responsibility for their own actions. And I totally agree with you, Bill. And I love this because we're speaking with Bill Miker. And by the way, we want to thank Brent Bolesky and visit Brent Bolesky's visit realnewswars.info, by the way, folks. But, Bill, to me, you're the consummate law enforcement professional. You really are. And you look at things from that perspective. You know, your observations combined with the second-degree murder charges tells me that there's not enough there to prove the intent of premeditation, that this was planned, you know, even moments before. So because we know that the police would charge or the prosecution would charge the highest that they feel they could prove. And I do suspect that there wouldn't be, you know, based on the charges, there's no admission. And, Bill, what you said, there are videos that show the car from the rear as it's going down that road, and it's going down slowly. And you see somebody with a big stick or a baseball bat hit the back of the car once or twice, and that seems to be when he sped up. And as you said, a mentally unstable person in a highly charged situation who could have felt threatened. And you hit the nail on the head, and this is one thing that the media will never say. Obviously, they attack anybody else for even saying it, that, you know, you have these people after the initial accident attacking this car. And at what point does this crowd become responsible or, you know, play a part in continuation of this accident and of this event? There is responsibility on both sides of the aisle. And just by the president saying that in the media, by saying both sides were violent, he was condemned as a white supremacist. This is the disconnect in the media and in some of the public's mind. You know, absolutely. Again, I always say that the police, it's like a game of old maid, and the police always get stuck with the old maid at the end of the hand because you're the only people in conflicts that are left holding the bag, no matter what the outcome is, and everybody else is spinning their agenda. But, you know, it's a good time to bring up, have you ever heard of a fellow named Yuri Bezmenov? I think so. Is this a guy from the 80s? From the 80s, yeah. He was interviewed about the, okay. Yeah, you know, I would encourage, I would encourage every person who is listening to this broadcast to go onto YouTube and watch an interview or series of interviews by Yuri Bezmenov, B-E-Z-M-E-N-O-V. 
And this is going back 30 years ago. He was a, worked for the KGB. He was in their, uh, in their indoctrination subversion, uh, uh, team and unit. But we are not talking about something that he said yesterday, 30 years ago, where he talked about ideological subversion, where you change the perception of reality. And, and, you know, rather than me go through the four steps of demoralization, destabilization, crisis, and then normalization, any rational thinking person will see very clearly what is happening in America has been going on for 50 years. What we're seeing where black is white today and, 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 and up is down, this Alice in Wonderland world we live in that is brought to us 24 hours a day by a mainstream media and, and by a growing body of educators and politicians is nothing short of, of uh, absolute capitulation to Marxist-Leninism. And this isn't, again, some me speaking as, as some anti-political uh, 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 spokesman of any kind. Watch Yuri Bezmenov, how he speaks clearly, eloquently, and simply about the events that are taking place today in America was preordained many, many, many decades ago uh, when when the the old communist masters had a plan, and it was based on a multi-generational uh, mindset. And today in America, you don't have, as we talked in the past on your show, about critical thinking. We have indoctrination. We don't have uh, critical thinking. We see we see a, a lack of moral standards. We 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 see uh, you know this idea that that you know we normalize foolish behavior. We have normalized uh, depraved behavior. We have we have taken away uh, from the very roots and foundations of what always made America great. America was founded on on pretty straightforward principles. You know, one of them being that it's a capitalist society that there's a constitutional-based uh, democracy uh, following a rule of law. That has all been thrown out the window. And, and again, it manifests itself when you see that, I mean, where else could it be <laughs> that the people who are wearing masks, coming with clubs, uh, uh, in violation of, of all rules of law, throwing urine bottles and what else at, at police, saying that, oh, I don't agree with your, with your right to protest statues, so I'm going to beat the hell out of you. Um, and that, and those people are being praised by some of your top elected officials in the country. And, and President Trump, um, perhaps not the most eloquent speaker in the world, but he's saying, hey, listen, uh, in most conflicts, there's two sides to every story and it takes two to tangle. And, and as he's saying, let's tamp down the rhetoric, let's tamp down the, the emotion here, and, and let's look at both sides, which I thought is a pretty appropriate thing to say. But he was attacked and vilified for it because the agenda is already set. And the agenda that is set is much greater than bringing down Donald Trump. The agenda that is set is is to change the political, economic, and social fabric of America. And, and again, when I see thousands of anarchists, and that's what these people are, let's call it a spade a spade, this anti-fascist. You're, you're nothing but anarchists. Anarchists have been around for a long time. And you look no further than the First World War. It was an anarchist uh, that, that killed uh, Prince Ferdinand that led to the beginning of the 19th, 20th century, where hundreds of millions of people ended up being killed. There is a very clear pathway if we allow uh, these tens of thousands of anarchists across America and across Canada to destroy public buildings, to loot in the name of, of, 
my cause today is Black Lives Matter. My cause tomorrow is gay rights. My cause tomorrow is transgender rights. My, my cause tomorrow is, uh, you know, break through the, the glass ceiling, more women here. It doesn't matter the cause. They are all symptoms of a greater tragedy that's befalling us. And the tragedy that's befalling us is that we no longer uh, have the values that our grandparents had. You know, we have excuses for everything. You know, I, I hear people talk about white privilege, to use that as an example. My father, uh, my own father, his first six, seven years, he never used toilet paper. He used bark off of trees. And that was living in Canada because they had to flee the Soviets uh, and, and left Poland and the Ukraine. And dirt poor. As my father said, they grew up as poor as anybody. And, and it didn't turn them into thieves during the Great Depression and, and uh, you know, uh, and all the like. So when I hear of all this buzzwords that are thrown out, the identity politics that are thrown out, all that is is rationalization for criminal behavior and, and not taking responsibility for your own actions. And what's even more shocking to me is that we have elected officials. We have people, uh, social justice warriors, sitting on the bench who believe that that is a desirable outcome and they are pushing for it. I, I weep for for the future uh, of North America, quite frankly. Yeah, and, and you just said it. It's a multi-generational um, attack that we're seeing here, and it, it's, it is communist in nature. At the same time, it's a, it's a spiritual uh, attack that has been ongoing, and one just has to look back, and we, we refer to this often, the whether you believe that they're authentic or not, the Three World Wars by Albert Pike, and... If that is to be true, then the Third World War, what he describes, is playing out right before us, where he talks about the nihilists and the atheists will be unleashed in all their their savagery, basically wiping out Christianity and and any opposition to a uh, a new and divine spiritual leader, uh, which would be you know the Antichrist from the Bible, and this is a multi-tiered, multi-faceted uh, attack on not only the American citizen, the American mind, but North America, the Western uh, culture, as well as the the Christian religion, and uh, to be later, you know, the the rest of the religions on Earth. But back to what you said about the anarchists and and Antifa, these are people who, in my opinion, they call themselves anti-fascist, they call themselves you know, anti-racist, as we see videos of you know them attacking. Um, African Americans and others in the streets, and we see, uh, you know, they are being paid in many cases to do this. The attack on the uh, American system of, of capitalism—that uh, seems to be what they're going after. And now, when we talk about the real fascists, these people seem to be it because they have the ability to have power over the corporations who are now, um, especially in the the technical technical world, you know urging and, and asking PayPal to cut off uh, services to a number of people they disagree with, asking uh, you know other Internet services like YouTube and whatnot to blacklist people who oppose them and their point of view. And these corporations are are acquiescing to their demands. And it's a, it's a slippery slope we're on, and we don't have far to go before we are in a, in a full-blown civil war, class war, whatever you want to call it. No, it's it's uh, it's a very ugly scenario that's starting to to play out in front of our, our very eyes. And and where where I think it's going to be even more troubling is that the people who are prepared to fight the fight, the people who know right from wrong instinctively and intellectually, 
they are being stifled. You, you don't see them, uh, you know, being promoted uh, or encouraged to to take a stand on these things. And so what you're seeing is a developing apathy, and and it's coming across everywhere. I mean, who takes pride in their work today? It seems like nobody does. You know, uh, mediocrity has become the new norm. Uh, at one point, striving for excellence and success were, were, were traits. If somebody was successful, made money, God bless them. They, if they worked hard uh, and, and made it happen. But today, we want to vilify and punish those people. And I, I, I always find it very interesting when, when I look at the so-called corporate elites uh, who, who now are, are on the attack because it's, it's, it's convenient to go after uh, people who don't fit the agenda or the narrative. And, and Donald Trump, I'm not saying he's a perfect president, but I think he has at least got his eye on the ball about the decline in, in American uh, values as a country and as a society. And, and a lot of these corporate elites, they're only focused on making money. Uh, whether I'm, I'm the chairman of a pharmaceutical company or an IT company, my identity at that point is is matched only by my thirst for for more money and 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 to be seen as as some great uh white knight but while at the same time ensuring that i get my bonus that i can drive shareholder value even if it's uh to the detriment of the broader society so when i look at at, at corporate america they aren't necessarily the best barometer of, uh, of virtue. You know, what we've seen through the global financial crisis is that when, when the banking cartel, uh, screws up, they, they socialize their losses upon the taxpayers. But when they're, when they're making their money, they, uh, they want, uh, the government and the taxes, uh, as far away from them as possible. So there's a lot of sucking and blowing at the same time. I, you know, I remember when you said that, uh, before and, and, uh, uh, boy, you're right on the money, and, and that's a good visual, by the way, or a good mental uh, image there. Um, I want to ask you because you mentioned that, you know, James Comey, once the top law enforcement officer in the United States, the head of the FBI, director of the FBI. What you just mentioned there is really a kind of the picture, or reminds me of James Comey, uh, who was on the board of. HSBC and then became the FBI director um, the question there is is what happened at HSBC when they went awry why didn't James Comey have the integrity the, the moral uh, the moral fiber to to write the uh, errors if you will of HSBC or, or the in, uh, you know the the intent of HSBC, so and how it carried on, uh, how that to me is a reflection of integrity that carried through uh, with Comey as the FBI director. You being in you being in financial investigations, you know what I'm referring to. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, uh, thanks for that's a good point you raised because you know Director Comey uh, came into HSBC after they were already caught out and uh, dealt with for laundering $7 billion of Mexican cocaine money, cartel money. It was after HSBC had already been caught out working with uh, uh, financing through their facilities uh, to Al-Qaeda 
and other uh, terrorist organizations. It was after HSBC had already been caught out in uh, helping clients evade uh, the payment of taxes and, and, and being coherent with that. Uh, James Comey came in. He was a prosecutor. Uh, had run, I, I believe, at the Department of Justice, the financial crime uh, fraud uh, uh, elements of, of the prosecution service. And so he would have understood something very fundamental. And that is, you can't dump it all on him because he, he came in as an independent director uh, of HSBC after all of this. And while his tenure there wasn't long, one thing that strikes me is that James Comey, as, as a law enforcement, with having a law enforcement background and being a prosecutor, understands that in the absence, a majority of criminal cases require a very fundamental uh, threshold to be, to be met, and that is mens rea, the intent. Other than criminal negligence, uh, most other crime, you need to show and prove the intent. With financial crime and white-collar crime and, and with these banks, the banks all rely on a two-legged uh, governance stool, and, and they hold that up to say, hey, look how wonderful we are. We've implemented a rules-based and a risk-based uh, governance model to show that we're, we're good, proper people. What I'm always curious about, why didn't the banks and HSBC, and why didn't Comey, uh, coming from his background, say, HSBC, a two-legged stool, you're going to fall off it. Why don't you have a three-legged stool? That where's your principle-based governance model? Where's your where's your principle-based? You know, with the rules-based, um, I can I can tick the boxes. You know, with the risk-based, oh, people from Pakistan, uh, you know, it's a high source of terrorism. We we better close their accounts or let's take an extra second look. So that risk-based model allows you to fudge it. The rules-based model is a is a roadmap uh, for professional criminals to, to navigate, and the banks they all can tick the boxes and they get away for free. Why the banks are resistant to a principle-based governance model is because you need to demonstrate, and there are ways to test for this. Banks are scared to death to have an independent uh, testing mechanism to see if their personnel are are taking a principle-based mod- uh, model to, to find out, are you ticking the box or are you complying with the spirit of the law? It's very easy to, to you know, you look at, at, at the law. Um, you know, 150 years ago, uh, slavery, to use that because it's such a emotive issue in the United States, but slavery was legal. It wasn't moral. It wasn't right. But I could get away with being a slave owner because I could tick the box that I'm a slave owner following these rules. And that is the same model that the banks are using today. I can extrapolate it even further. You know, President Obama, uh, you know, this great constitutional uh, uh, professor be- before he comes into president, had all sorts of uh, constitutional overreach that got refuted time after time after time. But what did this Nobel Peace Prize winner do when he was president? He didn't go to the Supreme Court of the United States for a legal opinion on the right to uh, judge, try, and assassinate American citizens. He went to the Department of Justice and said, let's, let's ignore hundreds of years of, of legal scholarship on, the, on our various senior courts and let's get a legal opinion from a five-year call from the DOJ that gives me the right to to assassinate uh, American citizens without trial. Now, on a fundamental level, I'm not opposed to to taking out uh, people who are espousing terrorism and attacking America like al A passport shouldn't give you a free get-out-of-jail pass. 
But having said that, it's the principle. The principle being, if you're a country of laws, then you follow the laws. If you're a country that says, hey, we're lawyers, and if you think back to what I said before, we're really ruled by lawyers. I can shop for the legal opinion I want to give me the outcome I want. And so, Director Comey at HSBC, you had a great opportunity when you're an independent director of HSBC that was on the ropes because of all the criminal malfeasance to institute a principle-based governance model. Why didn't you do that? And then I look, you know, that's always been in the back of my mind. And then I look at what happened with, you know, Bill Clinton, Loretta Lynch, Hillary Clinton, with the various investigations, whether it be on the tarmac in Phoenix, when Bill Clinton and Loretta Lynch is the Attorney General, dealing with Hillary Clinton's emails, the lack of security on the IT systems. You know, it was drilled into me, and like I said, every person worth their salt who was in an operational field, whether it be police, intelligence, or military, have all heard this said to them when you maybe overstepped something, and they would say to me, Bill, it's not that you did something wrong, but the perception is you may have done something wrong, and for that reason, you're going to have an internal investigation. Or for that reason, we need to go through the process of investigating fully. Donald Comey, Director Comey, what was more outrageous than the perception of a meeting between your Attorney General and your former President when the wife was under a major investigation that was coming down the following week? Talk about a perception issue. The perception of Director Comey acknowledging all of these wrongdoings by Hillary Clinton, acknowledging that he leaked information to the New York Times, confidential information, after the fact, of course. But all of these things lay a pattern of behavior that tells me you're either manipulating the law, you're ignorant of the law, or other. And I think by any measure of Director Comey, highly intelligent fellow, so I don't think it's ignorance of the law, and yet when it came time to stand up at HSBC and as an independent director, your obligation is to all shareholders of the bank, not just those in management who are just feeding like fat mosquitoes on the blood of its shareholders and the community who has to pay fees to cover all these fines that HSBC and other banks are now paying. He had an opportunity, and I didn't see him take it with HSBC. He had an opportunity with Hillary Clinton. I didn't see him take it. He had an opportunity with Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton. I didn't see him take it. So that's not a very good batting average from my perspective. Bill Miker is our guest, has been our guest this hour, and I've got to tell you, I've got so much respect for this man as a law enforcement officer, one of the best law enforcement officers, in my view, on the planet. And you can look up his resume. You can see his resume, his bona fides, what he's done. It's incredible. And, Bill, you've shed some very measured and very good analysis from a law enforcement, really from an investigative point of view, a very reasoned analysis on a number of topics that was much needed. And, by the way, we have people requesting you to come back and to add your analysis on a regular basis. And we're represented, John, what did you say, by eight countries right now that are listening? People 
people in eight different countries in, right just now. Just in the or, chat. Just, just right now that we can see. Yeah, that, that are checked into our chat. So you're, you're, you're definitely on the right track, a crowd pleaser to be sure. And, uh, thank you for getting up so early in the morning over there in, uh, in, uh, in Hong Kong. We really appreciate that. Um, man, I'll tell you something. It's, uh, your analysis. Thank you. My, my brother, thank you so much. And I, and I feel this, uh, I, I just feel, I, I just thank you. I just thank you for your integrity. Thank you for your analysis and your professionalism and your service. Thank you for having me. We're on the same team. Uh, I, I, you know, we all live in this world and we all want to make it a better place. Indeed. Ignoring problems doesn't give you, uh, doesn't give you solutions. That, that, that's true. My friend, we're at the, uh, top of the hour. God bless you. Thank you so very much. Um, we hope to have you on again yes. in the near future. Look that's forward right. to it anytime, guys. All right. Thank all you. Right. Bye bye. All right, that was Bill Miker. Bill Miker, again, thanks to Brent Bolesky Real at realnewswars.info. Yeah. We will be right back after these messages with David Kapilian, an award-winning American journalist, author, and vice president of WorldNet Daily. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. But what Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right. You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. 
consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman Report. It is Wednesday, August 20th, 23rd, 2017. I almost want to say 22nd. Uh, it seems like time is compressed or time is just going flying by. The reason, I'm, the reason I want to mention the date is August is, is a really an interesting month. If you go back to 1971, Nixon had taken us completely off the gold standard. So many things happened in August 74, of course. Uh, during August, Nixon uh, resigned. That's just one president. We're seeing a lot of things take place during the month of August here as August does come to a close. And I, I would really urge everyone to tune into our, um, my show in the morning and Joe and John's show in the afternoon as well. If you, you know, if you, I know time is precious and I know that you only have so many hours in the day to listen, but I think it would be good to get the news, um, uh, from our individual perspectives as well. So I want to mention that. And I also want to thank Global Star Radio and Blog Talk Radio for uh, being partnered up in our radio endeavors. And I want to thank you, the listener, as well, and viewer as well, because you make you make what we are. Um, you know, speaking of, we, we had a situation. I had a situation where I had a, I wanted to. I didn't have to. I wanted to uh, thank someone. If we give a send a, a gift in the name of our business, the perfect gift, and I'll tell you, this is a crowd pleaser is Omaha Steaks. I sent a uh, I sent a package, Omaha Steak package, to one of our people who had done so many nice things for us, and I got a call when when he received it, and he was just so excited. Uh, you can't go wrong if you are looking for that very perfect business gift. It's simple to, something that's simple to give and a joy to get. That's exactly what Omaha Steaks business gifts deliver. Now, they've got the Omaha Steaks has got a huge variety. They've got flexible gift plans for big and small businesses, personalized one-on-one service. They handle delivery. I have used this. Joe and I together have used this. The package that we received was just fantastic. The package that we sent was fantastic. The quality of the food. In fact, some of our favorite items include the uh, bacon-wrapped tri-tip steaks. Oh, they're just fabulous. But Omaha Steaks is the place to shop. Right now, you can experience for yourself what, it, what makes these business gifts so unique. With We have got an exclusive offer for you. Order the perfect business gift to try the Omaha Steaks gift experience for yourself. Or, or send it as a gift. Get it for yourself or, or do both, actually. The perfect business gift includes four ounces of bacon-wrapped tri-tip steaks. This is what uh, Joe and I were talking about. I was talking about Joe and I just love those. Omaha Steak Burgers, uh, four four-ounce Omaha Steak Burgers, four three-ounce gourmet franks, two four-ounce boneless pork chops, four three-ounce kielbasa sausages. And you know what? All of that, free shipping, and you'll get four-ounce 
or for free, four-ounce caramel apple tartlets, which are just fantastic. I can eat all four myself. And just for our listeners, this exclusive package is only $59.99. Go to omahasteaks.com, type HH in the search bar, and choose the perfect business gift. That's all you have to do. It's that simple. Go to omahasteaks.com, type HH in the search bar, and choose the perfect business gift. Again, omahasteaks.com, enter code code HH in the search bar to send or experience for yourself this very exclusive gift package for only $59.99 specific to the Hagman Report listeners. Fantastic gift. So, We are uh, going to be joined by David Capillian in just a, a few moments here. He's an award-winning American journalist, author, and vice president and managing editor of the online news giant World Net Daily. And we're going to be going to him in just a moment. I want to give you an update on a story we've been following now uh, for a few weeks is the electronic attacks on U.S. diplomats in Cuba. There is a, a new medical report out today. Some U.S. diplomats in Cuba diagnosed with serious health conditions. Medical records show, according to medical records, reviewed exclusively by CBS News, a U.S. doctor who evaluated American and Canadian diplomats working in Havana diagnosed them with conditions as serious as mild traumatic brain injury wow and damage to the central nervous system are you sure i I mean this is incredible news yeah this came out at about 3 p.m today the diplomats complained about symptoms ranging from hearing loss and nausea to headaches and balance disorders after the state department said incidents began affecting them beginning in late 2016 the uh, people believe that these were they were targeted with some sort of uh, sound weapon or some kind of uh, unseen uh, less than lethal force lethal force sonic weapon mm. and apparently the the medical records show that the injuries are much more severe mild traumatic brain injury damage to the central nervous systems and it's also come out that they believe that there is much more personnel that has been hit Many by this people, than have right? been reported. Yeah. Yep. And they even say that the the reports of this are still ongoing, of this happening to other people. That's, uh, that's we'll amazing. follow up with more later. Indeed. Well, folks, if you haven't done so already, I would urge everyone to go to uh, the WND Superstore, grab a hold of The Snapping of the American Mind. This book is a fantastic book. Uh, you know, you have to wonder what's going on in the world today. Best-selling author and vice president of w, uh, World Net Daily, David Capellian, wrote this book. It is actually the um, subtitle is "Healing a Nation Broken by a Lawless Government and Godless Culture." That says it all, in my view. You know, America has become America the beautiful has become America the bizarre government. We've seen openly defying the law. Christians are pro- uh, prosecuted as criminals. Children transition to the opposite sex the president supports the actual the former president support uh, supports our enemies you know you had the obama administration uh that the, the regime just pushing forth this uh uh the forces of political and cultural left the, these unbelievably convoluted uh policies what we saw, this revolution, this fundamental change discussed by Obama, it really had taken root in this country in profoundly negative ways. In this book, in Snapping the of the American Mind, veteran journalist and best-selling author David Capellian shows how the progressive left, and I've seen this and I've read about this, and it really puts this in perspective, 
which has, which continues even, even despite the change of administrations. It continues to, it continues to, to dominate America's key institutions. And this is something that we really have to, have to take a look at because where the gridlock is taking place, where the fight is, is in the, within the American institutions, the Obama holdovers. Uh, for, and we're also seeing this this information war with the news media. Uh, look at what Don Lemon said last night after the uh, speech with Donald Trump. But the, this fundamental change is affecting and much more than than what the eye can see. And, and of course, Mr. Capellian really does a great job in outlining that, but also the healing of the nation. And that, I think, is, is really a, a great one-two punch. Here's the problem. Here is how to... How to overcome the problem. He's also the author of The Marketing of Evil, as well, available at WND Superstore. Use promo code Hagman. Don't forget about that. But uh, we are so honored to have with us and so thankful to have with us uh, David Capellian. Uh, Mr. Capellian, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Hey, gentlemen, I'm glad to be on with you today. Well, I'll tell you, I've seen you on, I've seen you on various network uh, news programs and uh, uh, it's, it's just so exciting to have you on with, uh, have you on here with us. So thank you for that. Um, it, it, let me just start out by asking, because of your fantastic writing skills and your book, a, a glowing endorsement by Dinesh D'Souza, who we've had on, of course, and Sean Hannity, uh, as well. Um, what prompted you to write, what prompted you to write this book? Because I, I, I get a lot of, I feel a lot of spirit in this book. I don't know if that's the right word, but a lot of spirit, I guess, is the I'll take it. Uh, you, you know, I'm in my 60s. I've been a journalist for 35 years and uh, and written three books. And, you know, they say in journalism as to who, what, when, where, why, and how. <clears throat> I'm mostly interested in the why, because to me the why is the deepest question. It's the question where if you want to fix any of these vexing problems, you better know why, you know, uh, this has happened, because otherwise you, you're not going to fix it. And our country, anybody who's been alive for a few decades know our country has changed radically, radically in our lifetime. And I've always wondered about that. I, I grew up in the 50s and the early 60s where I, you know, I didn't know anybody who was divorced. And, yes, there was divorce, but it was uncommon. I didn't even know what abortion was. I barely knew what homosexuality was. Our country was, it was happy. It was strong. It was powerful, not just militarily, economically, but culturally. It was unified. Yeah, we had our crap. We had our problems. We had racial segregation, uh, all the rest of it. Uh, every... <laughs> Every generation has its its blindness, has its faults. We weren't without faults. But this was a powerful country whose footprint on the world was overwhelmingly good. And since that time, uh, it has steadily gone downhill. And, and uh, you know, I have, I have a chapter in the snapping of the American mind called The Blur. And I describe, you know, from Americans' point of view, what it's been like since the 1960s. Because 1960s, people, the hair grew long, they smoked pot, they took LSD and, and other drugs, and uh, you had some weird stuff going on in the college campuses. And, and then suddenly, a few generations later, we, we, we elect uh, an, an out-and-out Marxist 
as President of the United States, Barack Obama. So here we are. We go. We send our our, our brave young men to foreign countries to fight and bleed and die to stop like an awful predatory system of government before it spreads and takes over the world. And we succeed at that largely. And then we come home and we find, we look up at the pinnacle of power. We say, my God, not just the presidency, but our colleges and, and universities and, and our, I mean, even the, the, the social sciences are largely run by the left. Um, the academy, the news media, my profession, everywhere we look, our enemy has somehow come home and taken over all of our thought leader institutions. The, the, you know, the news media, the academy, Hollywood, that make the movies that our young people go and look at and then they start thinking the same way. So I have a, like a real interest in how the hell did this happen? And this is something that can be known. Uh, you don't find about it by going to school because the school is run by those guys that did it to us. Doesn't that sound conspiratorial? It sure does. But it's not. You know, it's like they say, you're not paranoid if they really are trying to kill you. <laughs> so this is, this is what we're dealing with. We have basically an insane worldview. You know, like you said, the, the, the subtitle of the book, Healing a Nation Broken by a Lawless Government and a Godless Culture. That, that does sum it up. We have this that is in ascendancy in our country today. And... We, I do believe we got a reprieve, a, ch a chance to recover with the election of Donald Trump. You did not want to have Hillary Clinton as president. But it doesn't guarantee us anything. It just gives us a chance. But, but what has been going on for several generations now is basically the ascendancy of a, a lawless and godless worldview that, by the way, I'm just going to spit out right now, is rooted in a rebellion against God, against the Ten Commandments, against the Constitution, against the core Judeo-Christian principles that, you know, America did pretty well with for a couple centuries, and Western civilization did pretty well for a couple of millennia. They hate all that. They think it's all rotten. The latest thing is it's racist, but that's just because that's all they've got. Okay. They're basically in rebellion against reality. And we can go more into that, but you want to get hardcore. That's what you're dealing with. They are in rebellion against every one of the Ten Commandments. You know, thou shalt not commit murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, murder, we have 3,000 aborted babies a day. Steal, we have wealth redistribution, which is stealing. Um, what was the next one? Adultery, we have the entire sexual revolution, which came to us from the left, which is basically based on, on taking the sacredness out of sex and marriage and, and on down the line. So and it's it's all perfume with this wonderful self righteous, you know, social justice stuff and all the rest of us are racist. But in reality, you have a literally insane, unhinged worldview that is has been up in the catbird seat right now. And you have a president and us deplorables out here, including in the news media, the alternative news media like World Net Daily. Um that are uh, that are you know fighting every day just as you are to 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 right the ship, 
But you really do have a pitched battle. Some people call it a civil war going on in the country right now, and those are the, the two sides, basically. You know, as I was reading your book, Mr. Capellian, and, and folks, uh, David Capellian, in addition to being, well, he's an award-winning journalist, he's the vice president and managing uh, editor of the online news giant WND, uh, which really is a formidable foe against the Marxist, the Luciferian, communist, uh, uh, convoluted agenda of the of the left. I got I've got to tell you, um, he's the editor of Whistleblower Magazine. But as I was reading this book, and you mentioned the chapter of the blur, and I believe it was in that the, the that chapter where you had an exchange with uh, on air with Bob Beckel. Please tell me it was in that chapter. I think it was. Um, yeah, it was. Okay. Okay. Uh, at least my, but I wanted to ask you, uh, because when I read this, when I, when I read your book and specifically that chapter, I, I, I began to think about one thing. And you alluded to this in, at the beginning. How did we, well, I guess the answer is clear, but are you, isn't it amazing how we went from the Reagan revolution in the 80s, in the early 80s? And you experienced this. I experienced this. This, it's a new, uh, new dawn, new morning in America, uh, new day in America. I, I'm, I'm forgetting the exact verbiage of that. To now this, this, this Marxist, lawless, godless agenda of Barack Hussein Obama. Are you amazed in that short period of time all that took place? And, and then of course it really was exacerbated under Obama. I mean, isn't that just, doesn't that mind blowing? It is. The speed that has happened has been mind-blowing. Uh, I, I mean, everybody cried for joy when the Berlin Wall came down. Uh, this was amazing. You know, uh, uh, Ronald Reagan, for those of those, those who are too young to have lived through it, uh, was uh, ridiculed about the way Trump is today. He was, he had, he was like, like, like you know, a cowboy. He was the actor. He, he was wild. He had his finger on the nuclear trigger. He was a clown. Uh, he was an idiot. Uh, and meanwhile, he overcame the Soviet Union without firing a single shot. Okay. But that's just, you know, uh, that was just an accident that could happen to anybody. You know, he, they, they to this day, they don't credit, uh, Reagan with that. They, they rather, uh, credit Gorbachev with having, you know, committed suicide with good, his good nation point. instead yeah. of being forced by the Pope. And, uh, and Thatcher and Reagan to, uh, to, you know, basically to, to, uh, uh to detonate their, their Soviet Union. But that, that's just been, you know, uh, that was what, 25, 30 years earlier. And then we had Obama. Um, you know, Obama, of course, part of the, part, you know, there, nobody, let me just say this straight. Okay. Nobody who is white could have been elected who had views like Obama. America had a national guilt because we had slavery. One of our, probably our worst national sin, some people would say abortion is, but they're, they're both awful. Uh, we had slavery and then we had segregation. So there was a genuine national guilt over slavery and segregation. And, and there was a certain joy. I felt it before Obama like really screwed up and did such horrible things. <clears throat> There was a certain joy that Americans had at electing a black president. 69 million Americans voted for Barack Obama in 2008. Most of them are white. It was only 13% of the voters are 
of the, of the population is black. But to show to, to the world that this is not a racist nation, this is, as I've said all the time, America is the least racist nation on the face of the earth, in case anybody out there didn't know. This is the least racist nation in all of history. Amen. Uh, and the evidence is that we elected a black guy twice as president. Racist nations don't do that. Okay. But, uh, we, we had, you know, people not as radical as Obama before, like Mondale and Dukakis and McGovern, uh, who, who, who were liberal left and, and not as crazy Marxist as Obama. And they win like one state, like, like, like Mondale, you know. So, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the great middle class of America that for so long has been so-called center-right, okay, for, for decades they do polls and they show that something like, I forget the numbers now, but between those who identified as being independent or in the middle and those who called themselves conservative, it was about 75%. You had like 20, 21% that identified as liberal. It may be more than that now because we've got another generation brainwashed by our colleges, but still, uh, America traditionally has been what we'll call a, a, a center-right country. So how we elect Obama? And, and I, I'm saying part of that is because the, 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 what do you want to call it? The magic, the, the, the magnetism, uh, the appeal, the allure of having a black president. I think it's a delightful idea to have a black president if just to show, as I said, to the world that, you know, America bought into Martin Luther King's dream of a colorblind America. Remember Martin Luther King's dream will be judged not by the color of our skin, but the content of our character. We had segregation in the 50s. We had Jackie Robinson came out on the baseball field when he was the first major league player in the you know, what, Brooklyn Dodgers, and you had a cop come out in the field and said, you have to get off the field because you're black. And, you know, Jackie Robinson is like, what the hell? I'm a player on the team. You know, this was crazy. This was part of our history not that long ago. I was in the 40s, okay? But, but America gave up all of that. We changed our minds in a single generation. When I say America, I don't mean there aren't a few idiots with a sheet over their head. Okay, we've always had that. Okay, I'm talking about the great engine of America, the middle class of America. They all, I, I grew up in a totally Jewish neighborhood. All my friends were, were Jewish. Uh, I had, I had one black friend, he was the only black kid that lived in the area. I don't have a racist bone in my body. I don't know any racist people. I barely even know of any racist people. And I'm, <clears throat> I'm an editor of a major news organization. I get thousands of emails a week. I hear from a lot of people. There are not a lot of racists out there. This is a total boogeyman created by the left because they have nothing else. Okay, nobody believes in them anymore. So they have to be like everybody's a racist. Okay. So that's, that's where we are right now. We're fighting a civil war between the left and the right and, uh, uh, the, and, and, can I just make a comment also on the uh, the Beckel interview you brought up? Keep going, brother. Yeah. The reason I included that in the book, I was I was on Hannity. Uh, uh, John Hannity is a friend. I've known him for 25 years, and I was on his show with Bob Beckel as a guest after the release of my previous book called How Evil Works. It's a good book. And we got talking about Obama, and I said. I, I started using words like socialism and Marxism 
described to describe Obama. And Beckel started having like smoke coming out of his ears and, and saying, you know, he said I was like worse than Joe McCarthy, uh, comparing, you know, Obama to a commie. He says, I gotta tell you, socialism, Marxism, there's nothing like that in this country anymore. And the point I make in the snapping of the American Mind book is that Beckel, who I, I love Beckel, he's a good guy, okay? Um, even though he's, you know, he's kind of a crazy liberal, but he's, he's a decent man, okay? too angry but you know where I was going with that is that there is a new Marxism Beckel was thinking you know he's like reading what Karl Marx wrote in the the 1840s which is a bunch of insane horrible stuff but the thing is that Marx's prophesied of you know international workers revolution didn't happen except in Russia it didn't happen and so all the true believer Marxists said, what the hell happened? It didn't happen. But they were true believers, so they still had to believe in Marxism. So they created a new Marxism, and that neo-Marxism, which is exactly what Barack Obama was and is, is not by means of revolution, which is quickly. It's by evolution. And so I unfold the whole story of the Frankfurt School, which was a bunch of Marxists, uh, in the 20s and 30s in America that came up I'm talking about people like uh, Herbert Marcuse who made up the slogan make love not war who all the hippies you know peace love uh, said during the 60s not realizing they were echoing a, a dirty old Marxist uh, and, uh, and and others of the school uh, of the school of the, the, and the, the Frankfurt school that basically were saying we need to have the quote was a long march through the institutions. It's going to take time, folks. Can't do it overnight. We can't do it in one generation. But we are going to take over the churches, the colleges, not just the colleges, but the whole school system, the news media, Hollywood. You know, when Ronald Reagan was head of the Screen Actors Guild, you know how many communists there were in Hollywood at the time? About 600. 600 card-carrying communists just in Hollywood. Okay, and a lot of these guys, to their credit, they later, uh, you know, recanted their former infatuation right. with uh, with communism. Okay, these are you know top tier name brand actors and directors, but they were caught up with a bunch of crap. They, it sounded good to them, and then later on, they some of them recanted. But of course, Hollywood is still very left wing today. But there is an allure to socialism. I mean, look, last year you had. How many millions of young college students who, God bless them, they don't know a damn thing, okay? They, they may be really, they may be smarter than I am, okay? But they don't know anything. And what they do know, what they think they know, which they've learned in school, is mostly wrong because they've been going to school and it's the leftists that run the school. So, I'm, I'm not against them. I was a stupid young person once myself too, okay? But you, but I'm glad you grow I'm still up. Alive. You grow up, okay? And I'm sure a lot of these people will too. But right now, they don't know crap, okay? And so they're all for Bernie Sanders. Why? Because Bernie wants to give me my college education for free. And Bernie wants to give me all this for free and that for free. And I like the sound of getting everything for free. Well, duh. Okay, but the thing is that that's not how life works. Somebody has to pay for it, and they don't want to pay for it, and they shouldn't pay for it. And the fact is that that 
they're not being taught about America, about what makes America exceptional. That's not a slogan. What has made America truly exceptional? They're not taught about the Constitution, or taught rightly about the Constitution. They're not talking about American history, except that we gave the Indian smallpox uh, and that we had slavery and that we're an ugly, evil, malignant, predatory uh, uh, nation that would be better to have our footprint on the world reduced, which is exactly what Obama did for eight years. They're not taught anything about, you know, why what we call Judeo-Christian values are the necessary moral foundation. Like, why is it good to not sleep with everything that moves? Okay? You'll never find that out in college. If you go to Ivy League College, okay? There, there are basically, look, the World War II generation, okay, the greatest generation, they believed a few things. Okay? They loved our country. They believe that human life is sacred. Okay, what does that mean? That means you don't kill little babies before they're born. You don't kill your parents when they get old and, and ornery and, and, and they don't remember who you are anymore and they're too much trouble and too expensive to take care of, so you don't kill them. Okay? We believe that sex was sacred. Okay? That there's that, uh, what, that, that, uh, uh, eighth commandment. Okay? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? Sex is for marriage because you have sex, then children come and, Okay, children need a father and a mother. That makes sense. Okay, so we we a few basic things like that. Okay, are what Americans we we call them Judeo-Christian values. It doesn't have to do with whether you go to church or not. It's just some core universal moral values that basically everybody bought into. Everybody except those way out in the fringe. We always have a fringe. Okay, it's okay. But I'm talking about the American middle class. These are the values that that we embrace and that made America great and unified okay and the left came along and said yeah you know those thousands of years of Judeo-Christian values and the Constitution that kept us all the greatest most prosperous wonderful country for hundreds of years they're crap we don't like them okay because we can't have our free sex and we can't have uh, a big you know a government to, to make everything free like our college education so we get rid of it all Okay, and people, if they oppose us, they're Nazis and racists. Okay, I'm caricaturing it slightly, not a whole lot. Okay, that is what we're literally dealing with right now in America. You've got we don't we don't have liberals anymore. Okay, my dad was a liberal. Okay, he would throw up over what the left was doing today. Alan Dershowitz is a liberal, the Harvard professor. He's a famous liberal. He says Antifa is trying to destroy America. Okay, so and that means Antifa is not liberal. It's a leftist, you know, quasi-fascist organization that pretends to be against uh, fascism. Okay, so I'm, the premise of the book, The Snapping of the American Mind, is not only that the left is crazy, because I think everybody mostly knows that who's listening. It is that the left is driving everybody else in America over the cliff, too. And I go into all the areas of suicide and drug addiction and, and, and porn and family breakdown and all the pathologies that are ripping our beautiful country apart. And I, 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 I trace them all back to the crazy left that's in rebellion against reality and trying to confuse everybody else. And, you know, guys, we need to stop being confused. We just need to realize... 
We don't have to be angry. Don't be angry. Angry is bad. Okay? You just have to see clearly. You're crazy. Okay? And I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to send my kids to your schools. And we're going to have another system that competes with you. And ours is successful because it always has been. And yours is a failure because it has failed in every country it has ever been used in. Look at Venezuela. Oil-rich Venezuela. Okay? God help you if you're in Venezuela now. So uh, they have a failing system, and all they have is invective and calling people names and calling you a Nazi and Trump's a Nazi. Trump is Hitler. Hitler killed 11 million people. Trump killed zero people. Trump is not Hitler. Okay, but it's all they've got. They call names and they intimidate people, and uh, that's how they hope to get back in power. God forbid. You know, that's so right. True story, folks. Um, this weekend, I, I just want to tell you this, Mr. Capellian as well. Uh, I, I have a, an office in my home and I brought my book, or brought, brought your book, uh, with me to my home to, to finish reading it this past weekend. And my neighbor stopped by and he sat down in my home office and this was on my desk. He, and I, he was there. I, he grabbed the book and started reading it. And I left for some reason and I thought he had gone home. I walked back into my home office. It was like 20 minutes later. He's still sitting in the in the chair, side chair, reading your book. And uh, he said, "I'm gonna." Uh, the first thing he said was, "I want to send this to my son who's working on his master's degree in Austin, Texas." But he said, "I'm gonna send this to my son because it's just a, a fabulous, you know, a lot of facts and information." So uh, I just thought it was kind of humorous because I I thought he'd gone long since gone, but he was so quiet in there reading your book. So it's a fascinating book and it's inspiring as well. Um, but I, hey, it, that story worked for me. I'm serious. It was, I thought it was funny. My wife uh, actually was kidding me about that today, saying, uh, you know, remember when Jack was sitting here. Anyway, um, Mr. Capellian, uh, and, and folks, our guest is David Capellian. He is the, uh, award-winning American journalist, vice president, and managing editor of the online giant WND, of course. And, and he, editor of Whistleblower, uh, magazine, fantastic magazine. And widely read columnist and the author of two very influential books, The Marketing of Evil, published in 2005, and its uh, 2010 sequel, How Evil Works. That's a great book, too. And you're right about that. And, and in fact, my neighbor Jack was saying, Oh, I've seen, I've seen this guy on television. I've seen, I've seen him on Fox. Um, but, but anyway, having said all of that, getting back to the topic at hand. Oh, and, by the way, WND Superstore, if you want the book, uh, use promo code Hagman, WND Superstore. I guarantee you that you won't be disappointed. Um, in light of everything you said and in, in the, against the backdrop of everything you said and everything in your book, what did you think of Donald Trump's speech yesterday and the reaction to it by the, the lunatic, liberal, unhinged left, people like Don Lemon and such? And what does that say about where we are as a country and where the media is as a as a really a propaganda arm of the old regime or the or the communist left if you will well when you were asking that the image that came to mind was when you watch a a, a ring fight uh either you know uh MMA or boxers or whatever and sometimes you'll have one fighter who will uh, bait the other fighter basically try to get him to react uh, get, get them angry. Because if you are angry, you do stupid stuff. Period. Okay? You are not the same person. You don't have the same wits, the same judgment. 
if you are ticked off and angry and and overreacting, uh, it's just a different hard drive your 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 brain connects into somehow. And I think that Trump, who rightly identifies the uh, the so-called mainstream media as uh, whether it's the enemy or the fake news media, but certainly as an adversary that is openly dedicated to taking him down. Um, this is warfare. I, I think they do not understand Donald Trump. You know, there, I, there, there are people that say that Donald Trump is is uh, mentally unbalanced. He has a low IQ. He uh, he's he's got you know you know mental problems. Uh, he's Hitler. You know, the guy is a New York real estate uh, entrepreneur, one of the most successful in the world. Became a, a multi-billionaire, built tall buildings all over the world, had a, a number one rated TV show. Uh, you don't get to do that by being either mentally deficient, having a low IQ. Uh, not the, the man understands a lot. I think. In a certain perverse sense, his flaws, which are kind of obvious, also almost serve his serve his interests as a distraction. People are always underestimating him. You know, um, he said something dumb about John McCain. Oh, he's toast. It's over. He said the the access Hollywood. There's always always counting him out. Okay, he sees rightly sees the media as. Uh, as a bunch of sharks. It's unbelievable. You're there at the White House. We have a White House reporter for WND, and it's just basically, and he, he talks to me about them, and he says, you know, these people, they're smart, but they are completely in a different mindset. Uh, they hate Trump. They want to take him down. There's no fairness. Uh, there's no objectivity. And so how is he going to combat that? He's one guy, and he's got the entire news media that have been intimidating Politicians for, for as long as I can remember. So I think he is intentionally going for the jugular, you know. So when he says, "You see the media out there, those people with the cameras, these are bad people," okay, he doesn't have to do that, okay. But he is doing that in a calculated way because it's working for him. They get so angry, they say dumb stuff, they do dumb stuff, and you know what? They are really acting in a very dumb way. When you, you know, Wolf Blitzer is not a stupid man, okay, at CNN, but when he comes out and says that the Barcelona attack that injured 100 people and killed, what, what was it, 12 or 13 uh, people, was a copycat crime from Chattanooga, okay, when we have one of these, like, crazy jihadist uh, vans going into people, like, like it started in Nice, where it killed what 84 people? A horrible terror attack. This yep. happens like every month yep. in Europe. Okay, but for, for for Wolf Blitzer to somehow say that was a copycat crime from Chattanooga, yeah, that just crazy. sounds like wow. That is like really completely idiotic, Wolf. What are you thinking? Because I, I and that's what I think of what uh, Trump did, which wasn't different last night from what he does all the time with the media, is to is is to rekindle this 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 anxiety and angst on the part of the media to take him down because it makes them unbalanced, it makes them do dumb stuff, and they are not disappointing. They are doing all the dumb stuff every day. And that's a destabilization tactic, as you point out. My wife and I were talking about that this morning. 
before I came to the studio, um, the reaction. And Joe, I know you on your, on your morning or on your afternoon show, you and John talked about that. Um, yeah. Well, go ahead. And you know, from the, from, I believe that the majority of the American people see through this uh, liberal insanity that we see on the news, trying to you know link the Trump supporters to KKK and white supremacists. And so many of the people who are in the halls of Congress and the Senate who have come out, you know, like Nancy Pelosi decrying, uh, these Confederate statues. I just read an article on, uh, I don't know where it was, the Gateway Pundit that talked about Nancy Pelosi's father actually, as the mayor of Baltimore, uh, putting up the Stonewall Jackson uh, statue and whatnot. And people are, they're trying to change history. You know, the Democrats were historically the uh, party of the KKK and the suppressing of civil rights. But they don't want to get into that. Uh, David, I want to ask you this. What do you think the elections in 2018 are going to look like if we continue on the same uh, media uh, craziness and these divisive uh, politics that we see in our country? How do you think that's going to play out into the elections? Boy, your guess is probably as good as mine. Things are too... Um, they're, they're too chaotic right now, and it's a little bit too far away. <clears throat> to, to tell. That's, you know, it's more than a, a year away. And uh, things could change very suddenly one direction or the other. Um, the the Democrats, of course, have been losing seats uh, like it's going out of style every time there's an election. And if they don't have some uh, some very charismatic people running and some kind of a message other than Trump is Hitler and all of us, including all the people listening to you right now, are all Nazis and Klansmen, they're going to lose. Uh, by the way, can I mention about, you're talking about Pelosi wanting to take out the uh, Confederate statues out of Statuary Hall in the Capitol? Yeah. We had a story the other day on, on World Net Daily. It's a great story. There are apparently ten statues. There's a hundred statues there. Each state puts two statues in. That's that's where the statues come from, in Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol. And ten of them are these, uh, you know, Civil War era uh, statues that she wants to take out. Well, we did a little research to find out what is the political party affiliation of those ten people. Okay. Uh, nine of them were Democrats. Okay. And the tenth one was Robert E. Lee, who was never got into politics, so he wasn't either one. So this is what... Uh, this is what you can read about in the World Net Daily story. So uh, they, and this is part of this is Dinesh D'Souza's big thing. He, other people have done this, but he's doing it in a very high-profile way and bringing back the history of the, you know, the, the left because they control, they write the history books, they control the colleges, they make people think that the, the Republicans have been all the slaveholders, okay, and the Democrats were the abolitionists and and signed the. Uh, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation to free the slaves. And about, oh, wait a minute, I'm confused. That was Lincoln, Party of Lincoln, isn't that the Republican Party? And aren't the the Democrats historically the party of the KKK? And they they obscure all of that because people just kind of assume because they believe the propaganda coming out of the uh, the propaganda ministry, or I mean the media, uh, that somehow. The Republicans have always been those who are, you know, against civil rights, and the Democrats have always championed it. It's just the opposite of reality. Uh, but again, if you just went to a government school, we call them public schools. That's a euphemism. 
you know, government schools. You went to the government school system, you're going to learn the government's uh, version of history, which is largely generated by the progressive left. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's uh, very interesting. The 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 uh, the statues and their party affiliation, and you know, usually we wouldn't, I wouldn't play into the, you know, we we do go along party lines, the Democrats, Republicans, or the left and right, even though it is a a tactic of division. But it seems that the 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 more that we see this cultural and media chaos that that we see, um, that's not really reflecting of the rest of the country, only on a, a small minority. It seems that uh, th- these people are, as I said earlier, moving at a breakneck pace towards some kind of goal, and that goal seems to be the destruction of the systems and foundations that made this country great, from capitalism to the Constitution to rights and whatnot. And uh, if we can get into the the Antifa movement, the the anarchists, and how the media how the media is protecting them, even promoting them, even with their their slogans, uh, peace through violence, you have. CNN and MSNBC and these commentators and pundits excusing their violence, sticking up for them, saying it's okay if it's against, you know, racist, and how they label any and everybody who they oppose or who opposes their point of view and accepts everything they say as these racists, as these fascists. But I do I have a specific question here. Uh, one, the with Antifa and their, their anarchist movement, they claim to be, you know, anti-racist and, and sticking up for the oppressed. How is that going to play out when they start concerning themselves with matters of, of Israel and, and the people of Israel? Because from what I've seen, uh, we've seen their true colors come out and uh, when they're talking about uh, the Jewish people. And also, this anti-racist slogan, uh, there's just been a compilation of videos put out showing the Antifa violence towards a number of minorities who don't agree with what they say. How do you see this this political movement, this uh, domestic terrorist movement, it could be described as, as Antifa moving forward, trying to be and be promoted by the media as being the, the righteous ones on the moral side uh, as we move forward? Well, the, the media kind of have to defend them because the, uh, uh, look, as I think your previous guest was saying, the Russia collusion thing is kind of like gone kaput, Okay. So they have to have a new narrative. The new narrative is uh, the Klan and so forth. So these guys, <clears throat> Antifa, the leftist demonstrators, even violent demonstrators, have to be the uh, the good guys because it's it's a morality play. Somebody's got to be the good guy. There was, I forget, some um, one of the mainstream media reported today that in Boston, a one of the violent leftist demonstrators there, they, they described in a uh, photo caption as a peace. Peace pro- or anti-war or peace protesters. Um, so uh, they, they're, they're going to play along with that as long as they can get, you know, because that's worse. Everything is worse than the KKK. Okay, excuse me, KKK. I said the opposite. KKK is worse than anything else. Uh, Stalin, you know, murdered 20 million people, but the KKK, which barely exists anymore, by the way, in case anybody didn't know, uh, there, there is very little. Of this, these people, you know, white supremacists, uh, the KKK, to whatever extent they exist, are obviously losers. Um, this is, you know, it's identity politics is stupid from anybody's point of view, whether it's Black Lives Matter or whether it's the KKK. 
This is, and it's also very un-American. This is not what America, America is an ideal, it's values, it's not what color your skin is. Um, but, but going back, you're talking about, you know, Antifa and, and anti-Semitism. This is part of the, it's more of the brainwashing on the left. Most of the anti-Semitism today is on the left. That goes against their narrative. Oh, right-wing anti-Semitic Nazi. The Nazis were against Jews, so that means, and the Nazis were right-wingers, right? Wrong, okay? Anybody know what the, what Nazi means? You know, it was a national socialist, what was it, German Workers Party, okay? Socialist. It was a socialist party. Where did this idea come from that somehow Hitler was a conservative Christian right-winger? It doesn't exist. It was never true. Uh, but this was part of the mythology of the left because they've got to have the grand boogeyman to balance out uh, communism, which killed far more people. Well, I'd say ton. Killed, depending on what numbers you go with, 40, 50, 60 million people. I can't even comprehend that kind of a number, okay? I'm in the news business. If somebody kills like three people or five people, it's a horrendous story. I can't even comprehend 40, 50 million people, okay? And yet, Barack Obama's former communications director in the White House, uh, Anita Dunn, publicly said at the Sidwell Friends private school in Washington, D.C., she made a speech, you can see it on YouTube, that Mao Zedong is one of her favorite political philosophers. The man killed more people than anybody else in the history of the world, okay? But... And that is why you have to have, you ha if, you, if they don't exist, you have to invent Nazis and, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. You have to create the boogeyman of the modern day Hitler. You have to create the Ku Klux Klan. And that's why the media really have to defend Antifa. You know, the, the lie is inherent in the name of the group, anti-fascist. You look at what Antifa, or an however they pronounce their name, what they did at Berkeley, right, when Milo Yiannopoulos was trying to give a speech there, they went and they they acted more than anything else like Nazi brown shirts on Kristallnacht in 1938. Remember that? Going from door to door and breaking all the windows of the Jewish businesses and so forth. A terrifying night, okay? okay? There they are breaking the windows of businesses that have nothing to do with Milo or those for him or against him. It's just because they're, they're there to, uh, to demonstrate on behalf of freedom and free speech. So they're going to shut down free speech and they're going to break some poor guy's window there. Okay. So these guys should be in prison. I'm, I'm, I'm with the, uh, um, what, the former uh, Secret Service agent Dan Bongino said the other day, he said he was a New York City cop during the Giuliani days. He said, you know what, Giuliani, you know, everybody knows the Giuliani rule. You throw a window, I mean, excuse me, you throw a, you throw a, a, throw a bottle, you go to jail. Next guy throws a bottle, he goes to jail. Pretty soon, people realize that if they throw bottles, they're going to go to jail, and people stop throwing bottles. Okay? That, that's all you have to do. It works. It's proven principle called consequences. Okay, so, you know, Antifa, who knows where it's going to go, but they, uh, ever since the emergence of the um, 
you know, the, the white supremacist movement, which in the minds of the left is like, you know, that they have lurid fantasies that this is like in every town and hamlet in America is overrun by people in sheets. Again, I don't even, I wouldn't even know how to find, if I wanted to interview one, I wouldn't even know how to find one of these people, okay? Except I suppose I could look up David Duke, okay, who nobody gives a rip about except the left. They always say, oh, David Duke, let's, who can we tie him to now? So let's go see who he voted for, and then we'll like go and, and malign some poor Republican who doesn't care about David Duke. Okay, so this is a boogeyman, but they have to have the counter boogeyman, which is Antifa. And so they're going to have to do their best to defend them, even though they are totally uh, indefensible, in my view. Wow, what a great, uh, absolutely right on the money, in my in in my opinion. Our guest, David Capellian, he's an award-winning American journalist, vice president, and uh, managing editor of uh, the online news giant WND. Go to WND Superstore, get a hold of his book, The Snapping of the, uh, of, I'm sorry, this snapping, snapping of the, the American, American mind. mind. Yeah, I I wanted to to, to merge the title and the subtitle. And we have the subtitle is healing uh, healing a nation uh, broken by lawlessness, government, and godless culture. Yeah, and the other book is great as well. The marketing of evil: how radicals, elitists, and pseudo experts sell us corruption disguised as freedom. And then a sequel to that as well. Right yeah, here. the marketing Man, of evil. I got to tell you. Uh, and, and we, we are so proud. And Mr. Capellian, I want to thank you, publicly thank you, uh, for allowing us to, to, to team up with such a, uh, respected journalistic entity such as WND and be a part of, uh, the WND Superstore. Thank you for allowing us to do that. And thank you for. Thank, thank you. You know, you know. Could it, I just, could I just mention? Sure. If, if your listeners go to themarketingofevil.com, uh, that, that, List has all my books there. Oh, good. Uh, all, all three up there, and there's audio books and ebook versions and all that, so they can they can see all of them and read all about them there and get all the all the information about it. Marketingofevil.com. Yeah, that that that's another. I haven't quite finished that book, but that that's uh, really something. That's an eye-opening book, by the way. Um, but yeah, I just want to thank you and Mr. Thompson, uh, Michael Thompson. Uh, you know, your your platform, WND in my view, is one of the most formidable um, allies in fighting against the deception of the left, of the progressives, of the, the really the communists out there. And we, I, I'm proud to be, I'm proud to know you, and I'm proud to, to, that you're on this program. I really am. And, and folks, uh, uh, David Capellian is, is a, an amazing man, in my view. I mean, you've gone, you've gone head to head, respect, respectfully, uh, with with a lot of people uh, like uh, Bob Beckel, for example. Um, intellectual discourse. That's it's really, you know, it's 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 you've. Cha- I really believe you've changed a lot of uh, minds and hearts of, of of people watching you. So, I again, my my thanks, my hats off to you. Uh, it's incredible Thank stuff. Thank you, gentlemen. It's my pleasure. Well, all right. Um, please come back uh, and visit with us happy to. again. All right. David Capellian has been our guest for this hour. Uh, again, the award-winning American journalist, vice president, and managing editor of the online news giant WND, editor of Whistleblower Magazine. That's a great magazine, too. I love getting that. I just, I, I just, the, the, the information in that. As a matter of fact, we use that for show prep. Don't tell anybody. Um, no, of course, tell everybody. But uh, Mr. Capellian is uh, 
I've watched them on, on, on Fox News and it's tremendous. Joe, go ahead. Yeah, just a, a couple of quick announcements here while we have the time. Folks, don't forget tomorrow night is the prayer meeting. Uh, go to palmaguire.us to get all the information and register there. It's the Paradise Mountain Church prayer meeting and that is free to attend. You just need to pay for the parking and you need to register on Paul McGuire's site, palmaguire.us. And again, folks, don't forget about the two other shows that we've been doing in into week five now, the Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10 a.m. on Global Star Network Channel 3, as well as Blog Talk Radio, live and archived, and the Hagman Daily Show with John and myself, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Global Star Channel 3, as well as live and archive on Blog Talk Radio. Can, can, can we get some feedback on that? I mean, really. We've been getting some. It's been trickling in more so. Um, not yeah. a lot of people, maybe one or two a day. Really? Well, you know, if you want, well, you want to send an email, I'd like to know what people think of that. Studio at Hagman and Hagman.com. We're right up against the break. I want to just mention this story that I was reading uh, during the last hour. Cleveland, Ohio, a man attacked a 51-year-old woman out of the blue, and then accused her of being a racist and what police are investigating as a hate crime. This guy came up to this lady, sucker punched her in the face, and then started screaming that she, that the lady that he punched was a white supremacist to the point where people around them started yelling at the victim who was hit. But the police came in, and the photo of this man was released. They are still looking for him. But is this a trend that we're going to start seeing? Uh, unprovoked violence and then being let it being excused by racist please. Folks, we'll be right back with Pastor David Langford. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. 
You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. back, ladies and gentlemen, to this hour number three on this edition of the Hagman Report. Each and every Wednesday in hour number three, we're joined by Pastor Langford. We're going to get to him in just a second. I want to bring you a quick word from our friends at GreenInnovative.com. Greenovative power cells make power anytime, anywhere, in any weather, day or night. They have a shelf life and will recharge an unlimited number of batteries. And folks, that's so important uh, to be able to do. They are EMP and Eclipse safe and will work when nothing else does. Don't let the lack of preparations uh, stop your chance of survival when you really need portable power. Greenovative is offering a 12% discount off charger packages when you use the discount code HAGMAN. Get yours today at www.greenovative.com. If you have any questions, you can email or call Alan Riggs at 321-576-2712. When you need it, you'll be glad that you did. It's uh, or three two one six three eight four eight eight five. It's uh, I, I think that's a preferred number. The, I think that that that, that number is man twenty four seven. That's three two one six three eight four eight eight five. That's greenovative.com. dot yeah. com. Pastor Langford, it's another Wednesday, and uh, it's great to have you back on. We haven't had a chance to talk before the show anywhere in specific. You want to start tonight? I sure do. Okay. Uh, we'll push the book back another week. Uh, I, I want to be careful what I say tonight, but we're entering into a crisis stage in this nation, and it's not because of the eclipse that took place Monday. I would not argue by no means that God cannot use those things because John Paul was born on the day of an eclipse, and he died on the day of an eclipse. So I'm well aware of the significance of solar eclipse. But our nation is at a crossroads, and the people need to be warned. We're entering into the fall of the universe. We're going to talk about, I did a series 19 years ago this month, and in this series I, I took and dissected, and I call it the coming fall event. Uh, how the, in the fall of the year, God has done certain things. Uh, I know I taught this uh, probably a month to six weeks uh, in 2001 uh, before 9-11. And, of course, my detractors said 9-11 was not quite the fall of the year. 
Well, the fall varies in the Hebrew calendar, whether it's September or October. So I, I understand that because I've designed and written a total Hebrew calendar which shows the book of Revelation and how the seasons are going to take place and what happens in that particular time of the year. This is the time of the year in Israel when all the rivers and the creeks and the streams begin to dry up. Well, that's going to happen in Revelation chapter 16 because it says in verse 12, And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water there was dried up, that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. God works in the natural, but when he touches it with his sovereignty, it becomes the supernatural. An easterly wind began to blow that blows naturally in the Middle East over there around the Red Sea. The God supernaturally touched that wind, enhanced its power and its ability, and parted the Red Sea. And he congealed the waters, and then, of course, when the Egyptians got in the midst of the sea, God let the waters fall on them and drown them. So I understand that God works supernaturally in the natural. But America is entering into a time when now Donald Trump, uh, and rightfully so, has the Republicans mad at him. And we're fixing to enter into a time of untold gridlock. Uh, you see, Mitch McConnell, John McCain, Lindsey Graham, all of these Republican Democrat, uh, Republican senators are of the deep state as well. Uh, they, they think they know more than Donald Trump because they've been there all their lives. They have this superiority. I know more than you know. But the problem is they don't know God. And they don't know what God is capable of doing because they don't really believe in God. But there's a scripture in Revelation chapter 18, and I want to begin at verse 14, and we'll just kind of peruse through this tonight. I want to point out some very evident things that have taken place biblically in the fall of the year. Revelation 18 and 14 says, And the fruits that thy soul lusted after are departed from thee, and all things which were dainty and goodly are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her shall stand afar off for the fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, for in one hour so great riches is come to naught, and every shipmaster, and all the company and ships, and sailors, and as many as trade by sea, stood afar off. I want to emphasize trade by sea. That's very profound in that America has the greatest trade deficit of any nation in the world. Verse 18, And cried when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like unto this great city? And they cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city wherein were made rich all that had ships in the sea by reason of her costliness. For in one hour is she made desolate. Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God hath avenged you on her. God does things on a timetable. It was God who established a calendar. Months. Israel came out of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. He said, this will be the beginning of months for you. And it's called the month of Nisan. And it starts in uh, March. Uh, Israel has two types of calendars. 
They have what is known as the sacred calendar, and they have what is known as the uh, civil calendar. And the uh, sacred calendar is the first month of that would be uh, Nisan, which is, as I said, usually it's, it's March or April. It can, it can be in either month because you, every 2.7 years, I know this is complicated, but every 2.7 years you have to add a leap month to the Jewish calendar. And that's why you hear me say it could be September, October, it could be March or April. We don't know because I don't keep up with the two-point-year cycle, uh, but they happen every 2.7 years. You have to add a leap month in the Jewish calendar. That month is known as the Adar, and it falls between Adar and Nisan. Adar is the last month in the uh, sacred calendar. Uh, Nisan is the first month, and then Adar would be the last month. But in the civil calendar, the first month would be uh, September. We, 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 use, we hear and study the, the word Rosh Hashanah. That's the beginning of their civil year. But I, I want to look at it from God's perspective on the sacred calendar when he began to establish the times for Israel when they made their exodus. If we look at the word fruit here in verse 14, the word fruit here is used like nowhere else in the entirety of the New Testament. You know, John the Baptist said, you need to bring fruits, meat for repentance. Throughout the apostles, epistles, they use the term fruits, fruit of the Spirit. It's just an ongoing thing. But here in Revelation chapter 18, verse 14, the word fruits in the Greek is opora, O-P-O-R-A. It's only used here this one time in the entire New Testament. Here's what it means. Even tide of the summer season, sometimes referred to as the dog days. Its fundamental and foundational meaning simply means late in the day or at the close of the day or in the evening. It was at evening tide when the psalmist David fell into the sin of adultery and ultimately committed murder in murdering Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 2, And it came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Most Bible scholars and theologians believe that in the evening tide, or at the close of the day or toward the end of the summer, is when wicked, supernatural spirits of sin, deprivation, and debasement, along with suffering, prevail throughout the earth to claim their victims and their subjects. And I just sense in my spirit that we are entering into another phase of that this coming fall. I'm not predicting something is going to happen. I'm just telling you, get ready. The possibility is growing exponentially that something that we're not anticipating is going to take place. Evening tide is also a time described in the Bible and, and in Bible prophecy describing the destruction of Damascus in Syria when it comes to fruition. In Isaiah chapter 17, verse 14, And behold, at evening tide trouble, and before the morning he is not. This is the portion of them that spoil us and the lot of them that rob, rob us. The Bible gives us a lot of detailed prophecy concerning the destruction of America. I believe America fits the title of Babylon here in Revelation chapter 18. There's many, there's many things in there that tells us 
that nations are made rich by her costliness. We have made the world rich. Look at the cars in America. It used to be Chevrolet, Cadillac, Buick, Pontiac, Oldsmobile, Ford, Mercury, Chrysler. But now look at all the foreign cars. Lexus, Mazda, Kia, Honda. I mean, I, I can't name them all. Look at all of the electronic equipment. Panasonic, Samsung, Yamaha. I mean, I, I can't name all the Mitsubishi, uh, the, even the industrial equipment. You know, you ride down the road and you see a, a, a tractor, a track hoe, uh, uh, Yatsumatsu, or, or uh, just all these foreign names. We, America, have made foreign nations rich. That's why they're going to weep so profusely. Because the money's not going back out. See, we're, we're, we're the ones that's building China and making them a, 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 a superpower. You know, we're, they're loaning us money, and we're buying their goods, and they're making money hand over fist. And ha- they have one of the greatest econo- e- e- economics and uh, economies in the world. Uh, they have a, 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 a mass amount of humanity. I, I read somewhere some time ago, if, if every uh, Chinese person ate just one more egg, a day, Australia could not supply the eggs that China would need. We we just we don't think about it. I think what we got three hundred sixty million people in America here. I think that's somewhere three sixty yeah. three eighty. Yeah. Well, you look look at China. I mean, that's why they can afford to lose millions and millions and millions of people and not worry about it because they have so much left. But as we look through the scriptures, the Bible gives us many clues about what God did and the fall of the year. The first scripture I want to show is Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 20. It says, The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Now think about that. Right now, for the most part in America, the harvest is past. The time of reaping the green beans, the corn, the cucumbers, all of the things that was sown in the garden, the harvest is past. And the summer is ended. We're now on the downside of the summer. And I, and Jeremiah said, and we are not saved. They failed to repent. God was giving prophetic warnings. See, I'm giving a warning tonight. I'm not saying something is going to happen. I'm just giving you a warning that something is in the pike. Something is going in the wrong direction. Jeremiah said, the harvest is past, the summer's ended, and we are not saved. Now, what Jeremiah was addressing was the Babylonian captivity that would soon take place concerning Israel's destruction. In other words, he was telling them, because God had told him, I'm going to give this power to Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian Empire is going to come in here and going to destroy everything because the people are determined to not repent of their sins and seek my face. Instead of America repenting, we're becoming more arrogant more bigoted, more civil unrest, more strife, more contention, more arrogancy, more pride than ever before. And, of course, I was looking at the Weather Channel today, and we see there's a lot of disturbance again in the uh, hurricane basin coming off of the Africa continent. And they're coming they're coming toward America. There's some even in the Gulf, as I, as I speak right now. Well, Harvey. what does... I'm sorry, go ahead. 
the tropical storm Harvey uh, posing life-threatening danger to the Gulf Coast now. That's the story that's in the Gulf that you just referenced. And there are a number of uh, systems coming off the uh, into the Atlantic off the af- the African uh, coast. There. Right, off, off the African coast. And 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 I just noticed we've we've been a long time without a real hard hurricane season. But Jesus, in Luke twenty one twenty five, he said, "There shall be signs in the sun, and in the moon, and in the stars, and upon the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring." When do the seas and the waves roar the greatest? It's during hurricane season. That that's a natural phenomenon. It just comes and they develop, they get the right current, steering currents, water and air and atmosphere, and you can have something that's just absolutely unbelievable. He said the sea and the waves would be roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. If I remember, hurricane season goes from all the way to November the 1st or November the 30th. Uh, it's one of those two uh, times. I think it's June 1st to November 30th. Okay, I believe you're right. You are right. Okay, uh, so this time frame that you just addressed puts us again at the fall of the year. Now, Amos was a contemporary, the prophet Amos was a contemporary of Jeremiah. Here's what he says in, in Amos chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Thus hath the Lord God showed unto me, and behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what seest thou? And I said, A basket of summer fruit. Then said the Lord unto me, The end is come upon my people of Israel. I will not pass again by them any more. And the songs of the temple shall be howlings in that day. In other words, instead of singing songs of worship, songs of praise, There'll be howlings, like funeral dirges, brokenness, weeping, sorrow, crying, saith the Lord. There shall be many dead bodies in every place. They shall cast them forth with silence. He's telling Amos the devastation, the loss of humanity, is going to be so pronounced they will be doing this as they did in the camps in Germany, Auschwitz, those other places, with silence. They just, they're going to be totally depressed to the degree. They have nothing to say except just to simply mourn. And, and you can see from the prophecy that he gave Amos, he starts by saying, the Lord showed unto me, a basket of summer fruit. Again, summertime is a time of reaping. He said, what do you see, Amos? He said, I see a basket of summer fruit. He said, the end has come upon my people. See, that coincides with Jeremiah's prophecy. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Uh, Let me back up in Jeremiah chapter 8, the same chapter, instead of Jeremiah 8, and verse 20. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 5 and 6, which says, Why then is this people of Jerusalem slidden back by perpetual backsliding? They hold fast deceit. They refuse to return. I hearkened and heard, but they spake not aright. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? See, when, when, when you indict people today for their crimes, their criminality, their injustices, they kind of shrug their shoulders and say, 
well, what have I done? You know, all this stupid stuff, like the poor kid going to announce the football game for ESPN, Robert Lee, and that's controversial. So, you know, I mean, how many people from Japan or in a, an Asian descent has the last name Lee? This stuff Great is getting point. absolutely... It, no, it, it is. It's crazy. It is crazy. And uh, for folks who might not be aware, ESPN, after the Charlottesville incident, ESPN pulled the a thirty-some-year-old Asian reporter named Robert Lee, issuing a statement that it was due to his name and it, the similarities between Robert E. Lee and Robert Lee. And then also there was a, a coworker of his whose name was Bob Lee, which Bob <laughs> is just the offshoot of Robert, who said, "I hope my employee uh, access pass lets me get into work in the morning," making fun of the name thing. But I mean, that is just it, we played a clip from MSNBC saying that that was the stupidest thing they ever heard but the host of the show said well this is the isn't this a logical conclusion in the culture we've created and i don't know what he meant by that if he meant we as the media we as society but he does make a point and it is um you know it's a, it's a it's completely out of, insane for them to do this but what he said is right this is the culture that that has been created yes and 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 today's leaders have created that culture. You know, we're, we're just we're just uh, uh, people of our of our uh, environment, creatures of our environment, and this shows how toxic it, our, our environment has become. And these people are demon possessed in this in these places of authority, production, direction, et cetera, et cetera. For just because a man's name is Bob Lee or or Robert Lee. He can't now announce the ball game. I think it was somewhere on the East Coast. They're going to send it, I think, to the state of Ohio now. Yeah, it was uh, in Virginia. Okay, uh, Virginia. Was in, yeah. yeah. So you know more about it than I do, Joe. Uh, it, the asininity, and I just find all this fomenting, it's coming as we're entering in to the fall of the year. Amos is talking about a time of judgment. And he, he makes it clear it's going to be a time when there will be much death in every place. <clears throat> Flavus Josephus, one of the renowned Jewish historians, said that from his own personal studies, he believed that the Noatian Noatic flood took place in the fall of the year. Now think about that. God had seen the wickedness of man, Genesis 6, that man's thoughts were on evil continually. Everything he thought about was about evil. And God says, it repenteth me. Not that God sinned. It grieved, it broke his heart. That he had made man, and man had become such a fallen creature that was made in his image and, his, and in his likeness. So Flavus Josephus, who's by the way, his dad, was a temple priest. So Flavus Josephus, he wrote a book called The Antiquities of the Jews, had a tremendous historical understanding of Judaism and things such as this. But he was fundamentally a historian, but his dad was a temple priest. We see that God destroyed the entirety of humanity in this cataclysmic flood, and there was death, of course, every place. Now, as a Christian, I am a Christian, but I do and I have studied the Jewish feast from both the Old and the New Testaments. And what they do, they give us timetables. 
that's my only reason for studying them. I do not keep the Feast of Tabernacles, which the Jews call the Feast of Booths, B-O-O-T-H-S. I do not keep the Feast of, of Trumpets. I do not keep the Feast of Pentecost. I do not keep the Feast of Passover. I, I celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe in Pentecost, but they're not a part of my life. But I gain insight from the time that these things took place and what God did. Every time you read in your Old Testament, I'll use this as an analogy, and I've, I've used it several times, but when you read the seventh month and the 21st day, for instance, seventh month is significant. Why? That's the fall of the year. See, uh, in Second Chronicles chapter 7, when Solomon dedicated the temple, it was in the seventh month. So it had either been in September or October because these months will lap over because of the Jewish calendar. And so that's when the glory of God came and filled the tabernacle, which was the type of God tabernacling with man. And, of course, the Jews, they celebrate this every year. But as a Christian, I understand it, I study it, but I do not practice it. But why do I say they give us much insight? Because, number one, the Jews celebrate these feasts every year. They're like, to Americans, Christmas, the 25th. These are set, they are etched under the Mosaic Law. They are always at the same fundamental time. Now, I want to keep emphasizing the fact that every 2.7 years you have to add a leap month. So they vary uh, March, April for Passover. You know, some years we have our Gregorian calendar. You'll see Easter in March. Next two years down the road, it may be in April. See, and, and that's because of that, see. So uh, God put these feasts at an appointed time, and there's what was to keep them. So as you study the timetable, you can come up with some conclusions because God is the one that established time. Now, God inhabits time. God inhabits time in its entirety, past, present, future. We can't do that, but he can that's why he said in Isaiah, I know the end from the beginning. Nobody can make a statement like that, but God, God knows it all. And we don't know but what little bit we know while we're alive. We don't have, we have to read history to study the, the past, and we certainly don't know how to predict the future other than what the Scriptures give us. You see, God has told us in his word about things that are coming to pass. I thought about the Scripture today uh, in Matthew 24, 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. And I thought about now there's talk, there's rumor, there's clamor that Syria may be helping North Korea. Well, the Bible tells us in the 17th chapter of Isaiah, Damascus is one day going to be utterly destroyed. In the evening, it will be, by the morning, there'll be nothing left. That, as far as we know historically, has never happened. Well, we're getting into a place and a position because I've noticed something very uniquely. Israel has gone into another time of silence. Now, you know, we've heard a little bit about Jared Kushner being over working on this peace plan. But since the election and Trump going to Israel, Israel, for the most part, has been silent and dormant. But they're the ones that have told us Syria and Korea, North Korea, are working together right now on a solid fuel rocket. But Israel, I've always said, they were the first 
founding spies, the 40 spies that went down to spy out the promised land. They have a, a renowned history in being able to spy out and find out information that is very uh, needful for their survival as the small nation that they are. But as we go into the fall of the year, as I said, the new year in Israel begins in the month of September, better known as Rosh Hashanah. This is the beginning of the Jewish civil new year. Rosh Hashanah is not the biblical name for this fall feast. It's more properly known as the day of the blowing. How do we know that? Numbers 29, verse 1. And in the seventh month, ah, there's the number seven, and on the first day of the month, it doesn't give you a year again, it just says seventh month, first day. So that would be September the 1st. You shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no servile work. It is a day of blowing the trumpets unto you. The blowing of the trumpets is better known as the summons of God. The summons of God. This would be the first day of the month of the civil year, which is called Tishri, which is September through October. It's also known as the day of judgment. That's key. Blowing the shofar was a call together for worship or for a call to war. You know, uh, in 1 Corinthians, it's either chapter 12, 13, or 14, Paul speaks of an uncertain sound, talking about a trumpet. If you don't understand the sound of the trumpet as a Jew, you didn't know whether he was coming to, to have a holy convocation and worship, or you get your sword and your spear and your shield and you get ready for battle. So it depended upon the, the sounding of the trumpet, the sound that it would make. You know, let's say three short, three long blasts, or two short, one long, I don't know. But, but there would be a sound, see? And this sound was for the purpose as God would summon them and why they were being summoned. Are we being summoned for a war, or is this a call to worship? And if it's a call to worship, it's also a time to repent, because you know where you're going. To the house of God, Jehovah would show up, and fear and angst would fall on the people. Joel chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness, and of gloominess, a day of clouds, and a thick darkness, as the morning spread upon the mountains. Now, this is a description of some type of cosmic disturbance. It's much like the one Jesus gave uh, in the Olivet Discourse when speaking to his disciples about his second coming in Matthew 24, 29 through verse 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth shall mourn. They shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. That's First Thessalonians 4, 16, when the Lord descends from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. And then back here in Joel. And they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's why I am a post-tribulationist. It is after, after the tribulation of those days 
that Jesus says he comes back. No secret rapture. Revelation 1, 7 says, Every eye shall see him. He'll come with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Not just certain ones, but everyone. Of course, the pre-tribbers will say, Well, you got two raptures. That's baloney. Let me get on. Jesus fulfilled the feast of Passover and the feast of Pentecost at his first coming. Passover, he was slain. He ascended back to the Father and Acts chapter 1, and he told them to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they be endued with power from on high. Acts 1 He said, You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the most other parts of the earth. Then he says in uh, Luke twenty four forty nine, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon ye, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. So Jesus fulfilled the first two major feasts at his first coming. He will fulfill the last two major feasts at his second coming. As I said, those are better known as the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Tabernacles. I'll quote it again, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall be raised first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, my pundits will say, see there, that's the rapture. I don't argue that. That is the protocol. That's the method. That's how God's going to do it. It it never tells us when. It never says when. It just tells us how it's going to happen. That's the Feast of Trumpets. Then the Feast of Tabernacles will be fulfilled in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And God himself shall tabernacle with men. And he will be their God, and they will be his people. So that will fulfill the last two major feasts at Christ's second coming. Now, the connection with this fall festival is the number seven, which was a very solemn occasion. Now, we all know about how many sevens were in this election. Five, seven, seven, seven. Donald Trump's about 70 years old. Uh, Joe, you probably remember the numbers better than me. What was the, it? Uh, he was seven, 70 years old, seven weeks, seven days, something like that. Yeah, I don't remember the specifics. I think you, I think you were right on the money with that, though. If it's I remember somewhere in that in that neighborhood. But seven, my point is, seven is a very significant number. Seven means completion relative to spiritual perfection. Now, just because it's relative to spiritual perfection doesn't mean what we witness is perfection, but it's the completeness. The cycle, the circle has come full circle. We're, we're, we're back to where we started. So, but this was a, a, a very different month because it was the month of the seventh moon. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't take the time to, to research this uh, eclipse that we just witnessed but there's something very unique about the seventh moon this was a very very special time for Israel this feast of trumpets was to remind Israel of their need for repentance and preparation of the day of atonement that would soon follow you would have 
the the the, uh, the Rosh Hashanah, and Israel would go into a time. I want to say it's ten days of prayer and the fasting, and then you would enter into the Day of Atonement. Some of you may be able to go to your calendar and look. It may be in September this year. It may be in October. I haven't bothered to look at that. But the Day of Atonement would follow. This was a very, very significant day, time, and feast. Exodus chapter 30, verse 10. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. This is when they'd make the, 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 the sacrifice, the atonement, putting the shed blood on the mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. Israel, prior, prior to their Babylonian captivity, they never saw, they never witnessed a need for genuine repentance. This is what's concerning me. Though we've witnessed a type of a reprieve, uh, a, a delay of sorts, I don't hear preachers preaching repentance. All I hear is, you know, blessing, blessing, blessing. If, if all the preaching that you hear is always positive, you better wake up and realize there's something terribly wrong. Anybody that's got a battery has got a negative terminal. You have a negative side. I don't care if it's a, it's a D or C or double A or triple A or whatever that it might be. You got a plus at one top what at the top of the battery and a minus at the bottom. You have to have a negative. Nothing will run will crank. I was just wonder if I looked at my calendar. Um Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, that's what that means. Yom Kippur is Day of Atonement. Yom is day. That's on September the twenty ninth. So that's why I feel like we're getting ready to enter into a time that's very tumultuous, very tempestuous because these idiots, and that's what they are, they're nothing more than idiots in Washington, think they're smarter than God. But you know, God always gets the last laugh, if I can use that term. As I said to you earlier, America has not repented. Preachers are not preaching repentance. And I quote it, and I'll quote it again, Jeremiah 8, verses 5 and 6. Why then? Is this people of Jerusalem slidden by, by a perpetual backsliding? They, they, in perpetuity, they continue, 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 continue to backslide. They hold fast deceit. They embrace deception. They refused to return. Jeremiah said, I hearkened and I heard. In other words, I took heed to see what they would say about repenting. What did they say? They spake not aright. In other words, they didn't have the right heart. They didn't make a confession of sin, a confession of repentance. No man repented him of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Jesus has called each of us to repentance. The first words that Mark recorded in his gospel, the first words he recorded of Christ, is in Mark 1.15, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Even the Holy Ghost tries to bring men to old-fashioned repentance. Well, how do I know that? Romans 2, 4. Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. 
The Spirit of God, I, I believe with all of my heart, the Spirit of God is trying to draw people into a place of repentance so you can be covered in the midst of the storm. There's coming a tempest, folks. Some of you have heard me preach about the storm Eurocladon. The storm Eurocladon in the 27th chapter of the book of Acts. Years ago I preached on this. I entitled it the storm Eurocladon. Eurocladon, Euro. It, it, it comes out of the, 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 the uh, eight, uh, European uh, nations off their coast, and, and it was a great storm. And Paul warned the people. He said, I perceive there'll be damage on this voyage, but they didn't believe the man of God. They went on their way, and everything was lost. The ship was lost, and, and Paul said, if you listen to what the angel of God has told me, you must listen to me if you're going to be saved. All 276 souls were saved. All of them. But the ship, the tackling, the lading, the cargo, everything about the ship was lost. That ship represents the modern church. It was broken, it shredded, torn apart, because it was something that man made. God's not interested in denominations. God's interested in people's souls. And that's I, I may do that one night here real soon. Let me get back on repentance. Why is repentance important? Repentance is saying, God, I'm, I, I'm a sinner. I, I'm, I've sinned. I have transgressed you. I have grieved your spirit, and I want to be reconciled, and I'm sorry. Any relationship that has to be reconciled, somebody's got to say, hey, I'm sorry. I'm wrong. And as long as people won't do that with God, God has no recourse but to judge them in their sin. I'll, we're all going to be judged. You're either going to be judged in your sins, or you're going to be judged free from your sin. Your sin is what hinders your walk with God. It's not your education or lack of one. It's not your last name. It's not your stature. It's none of those things. This is the problem. It's a sin problem, and nobody wants to talk about it, or anybody wants to say the word sin. But it's all through the Bible. Sin, and sinners, and men needing redemption. Why and what was the purpose of Christ dying? To atone for our sins that man could come back and have a relationship with God the Father. And Jesus was that mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. All right. All these events that I'm sharing with you tonight take place in the fall of the year. There are ten days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur or Yom Kippur, however you want to pronounce it. These ten days are known as the days of repentance. They are called dreadful days due to the seriousness and the uncertainty of judgment. They didn't know what God was going to do or how he would do it. Yom Kippur, as I said, is better known as the Day of Atonement. It was a time of national repentance as well as personal repentance. If everybody in America, <coughs> excuse me, if everybody in America repented of their sins, then that would be national repentance. Everyone would be repenting. See? But we're not going to witness that because people are too callous and arrogant. So, Israel, their objective as a nation was for personal repentance for sins not confessed and forgiven throughout the calendar year. They, they, they you know, kind of added up, you might say, and they would repent. And the Jewish people to this day often refer to it as the accounting of the soul. 
the accounting of the soul. Now, why is that important? Let me give you a Bible, Romans 14, 11. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow unto me, and every tongue shall confess to God, so that every one of us shall give account of himself to God. They called it the accounting of the soul because God says, I'm going to demand an accounting of your life, how you've lived this year. Either you're going to have lived a godly life or an ungodly life. If you've lived ungodly, you need to repent, get all of this under the blood, because, see, the mercy seat would have the blood put on it, and that would atone for the sin. It never fully atoned. That's why Jesus had to die. But it was a type and shadow of the coming Messiah. The Apostle Peter shares a very powerful verse regarding the need for repentance in Acts 3.19. This is after Pentecost. He says, Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now the word refreshing there means revival. The word presence there means from the face of God. God will send a move of his power, of his spirit, but it's conditional. You must repent and be converted. This nation, even though God is doing everything he can, there seems to be a lack and a willingness to repent. There will never be a refreshing from the face of God until we repent. The Jewish people pictured the Lord as putting on the robes of a judge. He would weigh the good deeds of a person on the one side and their evil deeds on the other side. This would be like a pair of scales or a pair of balances. The bottom line was God's perspective is justice and equity. The verdict depends on which way the scales tip. Now we have a record of that Israel went into Babylonian captivity in the fall of the year. This is a historical fact. This is not something that you're going to have to go to the Bible and find. Just pick up history books and read about Belshazzar, which is actually Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. And read about King Darius, the Medo-Persian Empire. All right, the Jews believed that God would put them on these scales and balances, and whichever way it tipped, they were going to be found in good favor, good standings with God, or in bad standings with God. Now, Daniel chapter 5, verse 1. Baal's Chazar, that was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords, and drank wine before the thousand. Baal's Chazar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar, it should have read uh, grandfather, had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princess, his wives and his concubines, might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. You can find all this in Second Chronicles chapter 36. Now, why is this significant? Because it was the fall of the year when Israel went into Babylonian captivity. Seventy years later, according to Jeremiah 23 and 29, Israel would spend 70 years in Babylonian captivity. That 70-year cycle had now finished. They were at the end of the 70th year. 
when Nebuchadnezzar seized Jerusalem, God put it in his heart to get the sacred vessels out of the temple and take them back to Babylon with him. Not he, Nebuchadnezzar is now dead, but his grandson is the king. So he's partying, he's raising hell, he's drinking, he's drunk, he's knee-walking, and he says, go get the sacred vessels of God and bring them out here. See, he's fixing to mock God, and God's about to mock him. See, God's always in control. So the Bible said they went and got the, the, uh, the vessels, and they drank in them. And they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. And the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. I was reading that years ago. And I felt like God just gave me the clearest understanding of what had just happened. It was written in Hebrew. What was uh, Belshazzar able to read? Chaldean. So God wrote it in Hebrew, and nobody knew, so they went and got a Hebrew named Daniel and said, can you read this? He said, oh yeah, I can read it. And he read it, but if you read the whole chapter, he, he preached to Belshazzar, who was Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Now in Daniel five twenty four. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, fingers of a man's hand. And this writing was written. And this is the meaning that was written, meaning, meaning, tekel you farsin. This is the interpretation of the thing, meaning, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Then it's changed to Perez. Shimon Perez was an advocate for dividing Jerusalem. Notice what it says. Perez means to divide. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with a scarlet and put a gold chain about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old, my age, 62. That night concluded Israel's 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Historical records authenticate that event of judgment took place October the 12th, 539 B.C. That was in the fall of the year. Jeremiah prophesied in Jeremiah 29, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years will be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you, and causing you to return to this place. He's talking about Jerusalem, where they presently were when Jeremiah prophesied that. He said, but you're going into captivity. You'll be in captivity for 70 years, and then I'll release you. Now, many of them were already dead. But there were, that's why Jeremiah told them, said, you need to plant vineyards, you need to plant gardens, and you need to marry and procreate, because you're, you're going to be here for 70 years. One of the false prophets told them, said, no, you'll only be there three years. But it was 70 years. So there's a lot of things going on. I, I don't have time to, to, to conclude all this. And I hate I kind of faded your breath and, and didn't wasn't able to finish. But my point is, I am convinced, and I have been convinced since August of 1998, 19 years ago, that God helped me put this together, this scenario. 
And I want to use one more verse in closing. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 4. Prepare ye war against her. Arise, let us go up at noon. Woe unto us, for the day goeth away, for the shadows of the evening are stretched out. The shadows get longer in the fall of the year here because of the earth as it begins to tilt on its axis. We call it the fall equinox. So, as I said, Israel had to go into Babylonian captivity at the fall of the year because God freed them the fall of the year, October the 12th, 539 B.C. I want to encourage everyone tonight to really be prayerful. Pray for our nation. Pray for Donald Trump. Because I'm afraid there's going to be some very tumultuous, tempestuous days for America in the very near future. And I've always said it'll be in the fall of the year. Uh, of course, I, I, my pundits will, will say, well, it happened September the 11th. We weren't to the fall yet. Well, that's because those buffoons don't understand the Hebrew calendar. And that's what God works on. Not a, not a Catholic Gregorian calendar, but on his calendar. God established the days. God established 24 hours in a day. And he started creation in the afternoon. The evening and the morning were the first day. Don't ask me why he did that. I'm not that smart. That's the way he did it. Go back and read the book of Genesis, Recreation. But I want you to know this. God has everything under control. That's why I teach on the two times, Kronos and Karios. Kronos is the succession of time. One, two, three, four, five. Karios is a divine appointed time when foreordained events must come to pass. And I believe America is reaching a Karios time when something has been foreordained and the sovereignty of God that certain things must come to pass. And I, and I use Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. In the Garden of Eden, God said, I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That's Genesis 3.15. It took four thousand years for that prophecy to come forth which was the birth of the Messiah. So Paul said, when the fullness of time was come, when the time has become full and reached that point, something is going to happen. Just like Mary, when she conceived by the Holy Ghost, Gabriel visited her, and he said, Woman, you are highly favored, and you are blessed among women. You're going to carry the Messiah into this world. That was a foreordained event that God had predetermined only he knows how long ago, before the foundations of the world, that he would come to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and touch her womb through the Holy Ghost, and she would conceive and give us the Redeemer. So I'll be the first to tell you, I don't understand it all, but what I do understand I want to share because I believe we're in a very, very precarious time and about to enter into a very, very dangerous time. Amen. 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 And I think everyone that has uh, a, any spiritual discernment can, can it feels the same way. I, I wow. Well, I, wow. I felt like tonight I just needed to. You know, we got the meeting coming up in Branson, so we're all going to be tied up and busy there the week before and the week after, no doubt. But I, I wanted people to understand God has a timetable. He works on that timetable. If He can speed it up, He can delay it, He can do what He wants to. But God has a plan, and it's divine, and we just want to be on the right side of God when judgment falls. Amen. That's right. Amen. Pastor David Langford, The Voice of Evangelism, uh, his new book, uh, 
the New Jerusalem broad. You've, you've got to you've got to pick that up. Uh, it's it's a fantastic read. Okay, Although we didn't share, get to it. Go ahead, sir. Let me share one more thing. I've got this teaching. It's called the Abomination of Desolation. It's called the Seven Kings of Revelation. It's called the Coming Fall Events. Those are three of my greatest revelations that God's given me through the years. I've got it on CD. I've got it on DVD. It's on my website. Me actually sitting down with cameras and teaching it. Uh, it's one of the most insightful things. There's talk about what is the abomination of desolation. I explained that. Who are the seven kings of Revelation? I, I explained that, and I also uh, go into more detail than I was able to tonight about the coming fall events. This will happen in the fall of the year, folks. I'm telling you, I don't know the year, but I know the season because Paul said, but of the times and of the seasons, you have no need that I write unto you, for yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as the thief in the night, First Thessalonians 5 and 1. So we don't know the year, but we know the season. So I hate to interrupt you there, brother. No, no, that, that's fine. Um, and, and people can view those or get those via w- which part of your website? The, yeah, just go the, to my website. It's called Revelation Study Notes. They're just three okay. personal revelations that God gave me on the abomination of desolation. The seven kings of Revelation, that's Revelation chapter 17. The abomination of desolation is Matthew twenty four fifteen, And then the coming fall events is Revelation 18, verse 14, where it says, The fruits which thy soul hath lusted after are departed from thee. So I've got it on CD or DVD. It's in a nice booklet. Uh, it's not as big as my other books because it's just three chapters, three subjects. But it will give people a thorough understanding uh, of what I tried to share on that one subject tonight. Amen. Thank you very much, Pastor. All Thank right. you, brother. And God bless you all. We'll see you, Lord willing, next week. All right. Have a great Thanks, week. Thanks, Pastor Langford. All right. Good Thank night. You. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, tremendous wow. uh, show tonight. We had... Spirit, uh, spirit-led. Oh, way. absolutely. That last hour was spirit-led. Go ahead. We had Bill Miker on, who usually talks about operations of money laundering and, and financial crimes, he came on to weigh in on his analysis of a number of interesting and, and topical current events uh, and news issues like the Charlottesville incident and the reaction, also his opinion on the USS McCain and what is happening with the Navy. And then we had on David the author Darian. of a number of books, which we have right there here, you go. There you go. Uh, the, his latest, The Snapping of the American Mind. Healing a nation broken by lawless government and godless culture. And this book can be found on the WorldNet Daily Superstore. Folks, there's a banner at the top of HagmanReport.com, WorldNet Superstore.WND. Use promo code Hagman. Don't and forget. make sure, yeah, you use the promo code Hagman. And again, folks, PaulMcGuire.us. Don't forget to register for the prayer meeting tomorrow evening in Los Angeles. Uh, you can get all the information at palmaguire.us. Registration and attendance is free. That's you right. only have to pay for parking and make sure you register. And again, folks, don't forget to check out the two new shows. Well, we're about five weeks in. Are we five weeks? Are you sure about I'm that? I'm sure about that, yeah. Because okay. last Friday was the conclusion of our fourth week. This was the opening of our fifth week. The wow. Doug Hagman Show, 9 to 10. The Hagman Daily Show, 2 to 3, both on Global Star channel three and live and archived on blog talk radio as well as all the other podcast outlets that there are and we uh we'd still love your feedback on the new show so let us know what you think that'll do it for us tonight until tomorrow stay safe god bless have a great evening 